A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty guys, welcome back to another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. Today, Zach Waxman, host of the Draft Champion Podcast, will be with me today as well as Derek Rhodes. Derek has a fabulous website with some great injury timeline tools available to really, the comprehensive tool that really allows you to dive into the injuries that the players have amassed over their career, injuries that they currently have, and how maybe it affected their performance while they were hurt. And it's just a good gate. It's a good, great tool to just dive into. And if you're really hinging on certain players right now to draft in these early drafts, and you kind of want to gauge how healthy they might be going forward. And Derek also has a great draft tracker available for Fan Tracks Best Ball League. It's only five bucks. It's phenomenal. I got it. I gave one away as well. I just thought it was really a simple tool to use, and it's helpful if you're like first getting into best ball, or if you just have no abilities with spreadsheets. Um, so yeah, um, so they are going to be joining me to discuss the pull hitter best ball draft that we conc- that concluded last week on the NFBC site, and we're going to dive into that and talk about process and strategy, uh, player evaluation, all that fun stuff. Um, with aside from that, um, thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate the following. Really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting on Twitter and DMs um, in support of the show and. It's really awesome. I'm grateful. I'm blessed that everyone continues to listen to the episodes, and it's something that's valuable for them going forward. Um, really appreciate that, guys. Um, and if anyone hasn't hopped on to Apple Podcast or anywhere that you can rate and review the show, they'll be much appreciative. Uh, thank you so much for that again. Um, we have a couple of industry news uh baseball forecaster is out it's on the way in the mail um at the end of last episode i highly suggested everyone to get a copy of that as well as signing up for baseball hq um they really push the envelope every year of statistical trends and how to adjust for it in your upcoming drafts yeah so with that being said i want to get into this best ball review with zach and derek here we go. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Um, tonight, I am here with two special guests. Um, first, we have Mr. Zach Waxman. Uh, Wax, how you doing tonight, Mr. Uh, Draft Champions? What's up, buddy? How you nice feeling? To see All you right. Again. Yeah, doing great. Nice to, nice to see you again too. And uh, Derek Rhodes, thanks for joining me tonight. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you guys here. Um, talk a little bit about our uh, recent 
pull hitter best ball draft from the NFBC um, new format again inaugural draft. I think that was pretty cool, right? You guys feel any kind of uh, specialness to being in the first draft ever? We made ADP guys. Yeah, I, I feel um, special to be part of that draft and to be on this podcast, man. I'm just um, it feels like Thanksgiving right now. <laughs> oh, thank you, Dak. I appreciate that. Is that, is that sucking up enough? <laughs> no, but I, but I, by it, but I am. There is sincerity behind that. Good. And Zach, Zach, and I had the pleasure of doing the hundred dollar double up version of this of this same format. Right. Uh, like, what did we do that? Like a week before this draft, Zach, something like that. Yeah, that was the first um, NFBC best ball of any format. Right, 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 right. It was a double up, right? Yeah, and I believe up. I actually believe that the ADP that was in our draft, in the pole hitter draft, was pulled from mine and Derek's first draft, which was a slightly different format. Right. So yeah. I could see I could see where everyone was drafted. Like the ADP of a certain player was exactly where I had drafted him in, in the previous draft. <laughs> and it was completely ignored in the pole hitter oh. draft. absolutely i saw you guys you know immediately started commenting about um how how wacky it was and how different it was um and you know i don't know if it sent you guys scrambling to readjust anything um but what how was um what's the difference do you think between a double up and because i know there's is there anything that goes behind your strategy that might be a little different for a double up I prefer to use the same strategy for both because right. I just don't, I just don't think we're good enough to tell the difference between a first place team and a sixth place. Like, you know, if, if I could kind of, if I could cut it that closely, if I could get the projections that tight, then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about it, but I just, we're just not that good. Things have, you know, there's too much variance. Right. I um, felt the same way. Yeah. Admittedly, I'm, I'm new to best ball. I haven't played before this year and inherently you'd think that, um, and maybe this is, this is a mistake that um, you do need to take a little bit more risk in the non-double up uh, that pays first or first or third. Now um, that um, Derek, you're, you're, you're saying otherwise, but that's, that's sort of, that's sort of intuitive. Uh, it's sort of an intu- intuitive thought. Um, maybe um, taking more risk, maybe just in the back half of your draft um, versus um, a double up. I think it's tough to know too, because like most of my experience comes from playing lower price points, best balls. And I don't think you can like the strategies that people are using in a $50 is going to change a lot for $150. And so like the level of competition goes up. So, you know, I, you know, if I'm going to play in these lower entry, you know, best balls, you know, maybe my, my, this strategy works really well, but in these, since we don't really know, you know, if, I'm going to use my prior experience, but I don't know if it's going to translate as well to this type of format, especially a league like this where it's, it's a lot sharper that I felt like that double up we did was a little, was pretty soft compared to this. Agreed. Yeah. We had, um, them really, you know, we had an overall champion and Jake, you know, um, Jake Halsker and obviously Phil, uh, you know, won a, a ton of main events and, um, yeah, and we had some industry guys, you know, it, it was good. It was really, it was really intense. It was, you know, I, I did a DC two weeks before that. And um, I felt like, you know, the best ball draft was really intense. Uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the intensity. I think the, our whole clan, you know, we had a, a really solid uh, group of, of guys that were just like really competing and um, really involved. And uh, it was cool. It was a great experience. You know, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad we pulled it off. Um, 
it was like a quick thing. It was a quick turnaround, you know. And uh, Jake was still in school and he was like, uh, oh, we're drafting tonight? Like, <laughs> it's, this is not like a in a couple of days thing. Like, no, we're starting it right now. But um, it was good. It was awesome. So um, uh, I just want to go through a couple of um, quick things before we get into our league. Um, so it's like I haven't really drafted this much this early ever. Um, so one of the things you know, that obviously we have to keep our eyes on is free agency. And just wanted to see what you guys thoughts on how you approaching drafting players who are free agents. And are you trying to forecast like where they may end up or a spot they could land in? Um, and are you touching them in drafts? And if you do, like, is there a certain point where you're a little more okay with taking them? Uh, do you want me to go? Yeah, Zach, lead it off. All right. I think, I think it depends here. I think um, certain free agents, um, particularly um, pitchers and catchers, I'm not really um, giving that much um, thought to where they're going to land or if they're going to land. I feel like they are going to land somewhere. Someone like um, James McCann or um, um, Archie Bradley. Um, Yadier. Uh, yeah. So those guys, those guys, I think they're going to find a spot. And I think the variability in terms of what, what their value is going to be, um, maybe closers to uh, are a little bit, um, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think, I don't think there's that much of a concern. Whereas you have other players like your CJ Crone and um, well, to an extreme example, Edwin Encarnacion, who I think might not even get a job. Yeah. Um, I really think that the players where they're going, you're not really sacrificing that much by passing on them. So in the case of CJ Crone, there's other players like that are corner infielders in that range where they might not have the upside, but really like the downside of, of him, um, potentially not signing going to play in Asia or something like that with his brother or um, just finding a platoon role. And um, what you've seen Josh Bell uh, trade talks here, he might actually end up in a, in a, in a backup role if he gets traded, who knows? Um, so I think it's really not, I don't, I don't find myself like I even passed on, I was passing on Carlos Santana for the same reason, just because it wasn't worth it for me. Turned out that I really do like his landing spot. Yep. But um um, just for, uh, I was, um, I made a little post about that. I think that, um, just, uh, Montessi and Merrifield stealing so much being on second or even first could really, um, deter teams from shifting against him. So he could maybe pick up some batting average points there. So it's just a, it's a small point, but, um, other than that, I think, um, for free agency, not to, not to take up too much time on this answer, but I think yeah. that it, that it really matters, um, I think it, I think you're really going to matter a lot more for players that are already on teams. So like the 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 um, um, the domino effect on players, um, and I'm spe- specifically speaking about closers. So for example, the Blue Jays, their closer situation, uh, Romano and um, uh, what's the other guy's name, Dulles. I don't want to touch them. I want nothing to do with that. I think you got players that are on the free agency market like Melanson and Archie Bradley that could go to like 10, that could be the closer for 10 teams. So I think it's going to really, I think you'll, you'll, you've seen already like Matt Wisler gain value, Lucas Sims. Um, well, that, that was via, that was a sort of an indirect result of a trade of someone else. But um, just, um, I, I could see um, the players, I, I see the players that are unsigned actually gaining value later and the players that are actually on teams right now that are like, Pencil Dennis closers losing value. Nice. I like it. I tend to jibe with most of that too. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be more cautious with the guys who are like 
better fantasy players than they are real life players. So these guys who DH players, uh, guys who don't play good defense, like I'm going to be more cautious with these kind of guys. Like I'm a little nervous about uh, Schwarber and I'm a little nervous about Rosario. Not that like they're not going to play and not going to get contracts, but like, I don't, you know, I I think Rosario is probably fine. I mean, they're probably both going to end up in full-time jobs, but I think the risk is there um that wasn't before and so like i'm gonna if those, i'm gonna take those guys like i want to discount just to just to reflect that risk uh and guys like renato nunez like i don't know if i will draft him like you know he's a guy who's like you know when he was on baltimore like yeah he's playing all the time you don't have to worry about it and now i mean he could you know easily be a platoon on a on a, on a better team uh, right. if he, you know. so I, I worry about those guys a lot but i don't worry about like marcus simeon like i'm not worried about him like wherever right. like he's gonna get a starting spot he's gonna be fine you know right right yeah i was trying to like um take a look at real life value as well like trying to turn like a projected war um into seeing like how much um like other teams starting positions um and their and their players that they had available um and so like why i was okay with taking guys like um Carlos Santana and Cesar Hernandez. I just feel like they're they're the type of guys that are, are kind of role proof. I think they go to any team and they just you know instantly keep their playing time. Um, so, but yeah, it, it, I stayed away from guys just in general unless it was on deeper in the draft. Then I was okay with just you know like I said, there were certain guys where I was really really okay with. Um, but I felt like guys like LeMayhew, there's too much in, up in the air with him right now. Uh, I know most likely he'll stay in New York, but he will take a hit if he leaves Yankee Stadium. So, oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of think he's going to stay in New York, but if he doesn't, then, yeah, that's trouble. Right, right, definitely, definitely. What do you, what do you guys think about Nelson Cruz, like, in particular? Because um, last year, like, all, all the people in the industry, like analysts, were, were all over him, and, and rightly so, basically that he was, like, a cheat code in drafting him and where he could get him. Now I don't really see, I don't really see people as gung ho on him. Uh, do you have any trepidations on him? I want to know what offense he's going to be like, you know, like part of, of him last year is like, Oh yeah, he's good, but also Minnesota's good. And so it's like, you know, I felt confident that, you know, he's going to be smack dab in the middle of a really good lineup and he's a good player. Like that's, that's fine. So then I could kind of mitigate the age risk by just the fact that like the, the valuable spot he's in, I worry a little bit more about that now, you know, you still have the age risk, but you don't know if he's going to be, you know, where he's going to be. Um, especially if we, we don't know about the NLDH. And the twins are not looking to spend any extra money. We've seen nope. that. Nope. They don't seem like it. Yeah. And they, they really didn't have um, a, a, a that prolific of an offense last year. Who knows if it was, um, you know, a lot of people rumored them to be part of, you know, uh, you know, taping themselves, um, give themselves tips for hitting. So who knows if that was part of it. Um, but, um, all right. So let's talk about the process leading up to the draft. Tell me how you guys get ready for, you know, I know Zach, you said it's, you know, just getting into best ball draft and Derek, you have a little more familiarity with them and just wanted to, walk through how you guys rank your players um, and all that jazz. Um, So I'm a big uh, projections guy. Uh, I'm not quite as, uh, I don't have a system like Phil, I, I, you know, or what is that what he calls it? A system, right? The system. system. Yeah. It's not even the, it's just system. System. Yeah. 
I have a spreadsheet. We call it the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet. <laughs> just like Ohio State. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I'm running through projections. I do, you know, replacement uh, valuations, um, you know, and then I, I, I boil everything down to a dollar value. And that's how I do my rankings. Um, I'm not a strict dollar value drafter, um, but I do use it pretty, you know, it informs pretty much every draft pick. Nice. So when you say um, you you jump everything back to a dollar valuation, um, is there? Um, I know toward the back end of drafts, I know like um, I've seen a lot of articles debating like how to incorporate. Like, do you use like cents or are you just like around? You, you know, like I know that's a big discussion about yeah. uh, about getting actual valuation to players. I'm always fascinated with you know to see how people like look at that. I actually do use cents, but, you know, I generally view if, you know, especially the later you get, the less likely I'm going to use, like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, guys just, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I'm not going to say, okay, this guy's 70 cents. This guy's 30 cents. I'm taking the 70 cents guy every time like that. You know, I'm just not doing that. When you get within a couple bucks later, like, you know, it's all kind of best guess. I think at that point, so you just start taking guys you think have upside beyond what I've got them projected for that kind of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Zach Wax, what do you got? Um, I'm not a big projection guy. We talked about that a little bit beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. Just looking at a couple, just like I know Steamer is the only one that's really available right now. Um, just a couple, a couple um, things that I've noticed there just make me um, uneasy about using something like that. And in addition to not really understanding the guts of it, makes me uncomfortable using projections. Although I, I do look at them and I do use them as 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 a guide or a gut check. Um, just it, when, when I'm making, when I'm evaluating players individually, um, but really not much different than preparing for this best ball is not much different than um, other drafts I've done um, later in draft season last year, or even last year, uh, Roto leagues, really this early, um, I think there's a lot of market inefficiency. So I'm really looking, like I said, bargain hunting, getting, getting those, looking for those inefficiencies. And when I say bargain hunting, I'm not trying to um, shop for like the risky players, um, in, in like the early round. So I, I'm, I've sort of made a self-imposed rule I'm trying not to get, take those risks before round 24 because you have 23 rounds where you have starting players typically. Um, I'm not looking to grab like Wander Franco just because he falls past, past pick 200. That's, not, that's, what I'm, that's not really what I'm talking about for bargain right. hunting. Let um, me ask you something real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but no, no, when, you say, when you say bargain hunting, you're assuming that you're going to know what this person's going to do at the end of the year, right? Because that's when you know if you got a bargain or not, right? I mean, right now we're just acquiring players at, at ADP, you know, because that's what it costs to get them. And so they're not really bargains yet, right? Well, we, we, we talked about this on Twitter. We had a conversation. I'd, I'd call it like an unrealized gain in terms of like the, the market. So like, let's say you're, you're owning players like the stock and your an ADP is sort of like your stock exchange, right? And um, you're, you're buying, say, let's take, um, I don't know, um, take uh, Lucas Sims. You're buying him as a penny stock at pick like 550 um, a couple of weeks ago. And um, now, now the market's gone up on him because he's a potential closer. So yeah, you're, you're, he was a bargain. That's just, that's an example using hindsight. But um, if, especially when you're, when you're, um, when you're competing in an overall prize, you're now getting a player at pick 500 that is going to cost um, a pick 200 or 150 
um, when you're competing um, for other players that are competing against that same team of yours. You, know, you, see, you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, I just think, you know, what, what, what determines a player's value is the stats they put up you know, through the year, that's the, you know, that's the worth and, and, and it all, then you can determine if where you got them was a bargain because right now he's maybe a closer, he's a, an assumed closer. And you're already saying that he might end up with uh, a value of 150 ADP, but what if he doesn't, then he's not a bargain, right? So he hasn't really reached bargain level yet. I mean, has he, 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 he hasn't done anything. True. And maybe, How you maybe, getting, maybe yeah. Maybe I'll frame it in a, in a different way. It's a player that I that I that I think um, is going at a cost. Right, that right. Is, That's what I'm that saying. Is, you got a you got a good acquisition cost for him, right? He, yeah, I guess we're not. not it's, it, it's we're yeah we're saying the same thing. I think. I okay. think if, if if this draft slot is like a five dollar draft slot, if you're looking at auction values. Um, then and you think you're buying a player that's going to produce ten or fifteen dollars worth of stats? That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. And and and, the, and I guess to maybe clarify my point, I'm looking at a couple of things. I'm looking for um, um, three things actually. Here, one would be One would be a, um, um, a market inefficiency and opportunity. So a player like, for example, that's going to be uh, that's going to change that that his opportunity is going to change based on a trade, based on teams not really having um, a full. Um, so a full starting rotation is a spot in the rotation is a spot in the opening lineup um, players that, and then positive regression players that haven't had full seasons. You can, that, that haven't really been uh, that people aren't fully comfortable in projecting and and then positive regression based on a little um, based on some metrics that you can look at and you can dig into a little bit like exit velocity with percentage um, CSW came on walk stuff, stuff like that, that you can find some positive regression, like on the peripheral side Um that you think um, um, are going at a later ADP than what they're what they could or should produce. Right, right. I got you. Um, and you know, uh, Derek mentioned he finds the value over the replacement. Do you do anything like uh, like that where you're trying to um, separate? You know, how much better this pick will be as if you went toward like you know, if you're looking at second and third baseman, but you realize um, you know can kind of say, all right, well, I need to maybe pick this position first because there's a big drop off after this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, that, and a lot, of, a lot of good players like Derek have, have, have mentioned, they, they draft backwards. And that's something that I'm, that's probably the most, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm trying to focus on this year is, is drafting backwards. And in these best balls, um, like for, well, comparing it to Roto, you, you have to worry about your position scarcity and your category scarcity. Um, and I'll work backwards by position and stats. But here it's all in baseball. It's just about position, really. Um, so for, I'll give you an example. Last year, I felt like outfielders, like I love the late outfielders, Grisham and Lewis, Kyle Lewis, um, were always picks for me. And not, I'm not bragging because Sam Hilliard was a pick 100 picks earlier for me in every draft, and that completely um, backfired on me. So I'm not trying to brag about that. That just uh, I felt that there, the value was in the outfielders last year. Now, this, if you're drafting this early, it evolves so quickly. So early in draft season, when I say early, I mean October, I was loving the, the late catchers. Like I was loving Sam Huff, Kirk, and like people had forgotten about Tom Murphy. So I can get those guys. Like I was getting them and pick 400 or 500, like 400 to 500 in these early DCs, like way, way late. Now those guys, the market's completely changed there. Now those guys are moved up to like the early 300s. Like you're not getting, like those guys basically aren't falling past pick three, 350. So now I've completely shifted 
gears on that. Um, and now I'm working backwards. The, the position I really like this year for late picks is first base. So it, it's causing me to like, it's, it's for, I'm forcing myself to um, ignore the Voights and the Alonzos and even the Freemans. And I know I can work backwards like that. So I'm looking at the replacement value um, like that. And I, and I look at, I know Derek, Derek, we talked and you say you look, you do look at the replacement value, but you're looking at it after maybe like the, the second of each of the positions, like second base or third base. But, and you're sort of looking at the absolute replacement value based on like your, your bench players. I'm looking at um, what I'm trying to do. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do this hundred percent of the time, but I'm looking at the incremental replacement value from like round to round. So say I'm, I'm working on the one, two turn and then the three, four turn, I'm looking at the incremental value of hitter versus pitcher or position versus position um, in round five, six, seven, eight. Nice, nice little breakdown. I like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I struggled a little bit approaching this because um, I don't really use projections as much, but I ran, you know, the random point system and um, I still try to keep it true to how I pick players like using the Ron Chandler Babs ratings and the Mayberry method ratings um, and just picking skill sets. Um, but I, you know, I looked at the list of the projectable points through a couple of different projection systems. It did like kind of like an aggregate on my own. And um, I felt like I wasn't always just going to the next like highest point getter. Um, I would drop myself, you know, about 40, 50 points, um, like just like a good range to go down and just see if I liked anyone's skills sets below them better and I would just try to um hedge that their skills their better skill sets would you know give them that better bump and getting more points because the way I was looking at it is that you know um it doesn't matter how you get your points you know and if you have different paths to get it um I felt like I was just going to own in on that own in on the skill set and um let the fall you know let the points fall into place there was a couple of points um there was a couple of spots where it just ended up being where the guy i felt like was the next best player was the next best projectable you know point guy um so there was moments where i fell in like that but i didn't always just take the next you know best guy that the projection was spitting out it was trying to use my normal evaluation like in roto leagues in 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 that sense of it and like do like some type of hybrid, you know, um, approach. What do you think about that? I think it's, it is a tough line to walk because you are, you know, when you're in points, it is one number. It is the point, like it's the total points, like that's all it is. And right. so it's like, so some, sometimes it's easy to just go, well, then you just take the highest projected points, but, but we know we're not that good at, at projecting a player, you know, exactly where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I do think it is, um, it is a, a big shift to go from Roto where, um, you know, you are trying to keep a lot of things. Like, I think you are, I think Roto play is a lot better for skills-based drafting with maybe exception of, of, of you know, stolen base uh, because you have rate skills that are very important and, you know, rate skills, you know, that's a, you know, the playing time is less of, you know, obviously the more playing time you have with somebody who's elite rate skills, like the more valuable that is, but you can get value from a player, even if they don't have a ton of playing time, if they have elite rate skills in points formats, bad players often are high scores. Like, um, and so like they don't have to be good players. Uh, Sometimes they just need playing time. So it it is, I think it's, it's a different balance. 
Um, obviously, you look for playing time in Roto too, but I do think it's a little bit different balance. Uh, you tend to have more bad players uh, move up your board in this type of format. Bad players is in not good skills. Right, right. You know, I, I, especially when I got to the lower end of the draft when I was looking at at, at pitchers, um, you know, where – um, just to try to target, you know, for like Roto, you're like, okay, you know, I just need like a high upside K guy or, or you know, you have like a specific need maybe you'll, that you're trying to target and 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 this way I was just like, okay, so do I go with a high upside K guy or do I go with the guy who might throw five and a half, you know, innings per start, you know, and um, it, it was pretty cool trying to walk that line to figure out like what, what I wanted to do, you know, when it came down to picking those um, types of players. Um, so I wanted to talk about multi-eligibility players um, and how valuable they are. Um, I know, Derek, I, I, I listened to you on um, multiple podcasts talk about, um, you know, uh, there's a point of their, their value. And then, you know, like there's like a tipping point, I guess you would say. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, maybe you could give my listeners a little breakdown of, of, of that, of, of the multi-eligibility players. I think Zach actually, uh, he and I, when we did this, this other best ball, you know, he, we DM back and forth a lot. And he was the one who I think best articulated. There is this idea that like, when you get to a point, you know, the value of those multi eligibility, like it's decline, right? There's a point where where you've just, you've got there's diminishing marginal returns. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Use a good economic turn uh, term. Like, you know, eight again, what's it called? Diminishing marginal return. It's, a, it's an economic term where it's like, say, it, it, it's, uh, want me to get nerd out here. It's for example. Yeah. Nerd like, out. Nerd out, nerd, bro. So there's diminishing marginal returns on cheeseburgers. So the first cheeseburger you're going to eat. Yeah, you take that back. You take that back. You're going to really, you're going to really, you're going to really love that, that cheeseburger, right? And then somebody's going to give you another cheeseburger. You might like it just as much the same. Um, maybe I probably, I probably would. But then that third cheeseburger, somebody's going to give you like, ah, it's not going to really give you that same utility or enjoyment out of that cheeseburger. Right. And then the fourth, you're like, Oh my God. Um, like I could take it or leave it. And the fifth one, you're like, you might throw it up. So it might give you negative return. Right. So there's diminishing at like that, that same concepts being, you know, can be used uh, for multi-position players. So, um, and I think Derek actually hit the nail on it when he said that he, he, he basically summed it up by saying that the, like, as you go on, the, the, um, in the draft and you draft more multi-position players, the worse and worse they're going to become. So even though they, you can slot them in multiple positions, and I think, Derek, you can, you can take over any point. You were saying that these players um, won't really slot in as often because they're just not good players, right? right? Right. And especially in this format where you do have a lot of different positions that you're playing. Like you do have – guys can play corner, guys can play middle, and you have a util. Like at some point – how valuable it is for is it for your third third baseman to have third and you know and first and outfield like the reality is like the chances of, of that player giving you a lot of benefit I just don't think are real high and I think Phil talked about this some in the last podcast like it just at, you, over the course of the season like it's just not going to be that many points um, but I, I know in this draft compared to the you know not to keep harping on this but compared to the double up we did um, the uh, multi-eligible players across the board went higher in this draft than they did in the other draft. Um, and I thought they went high in the other draft. Yeah. Uh, you know, I ended up with more of them than I thought they, than I thought I would. Uh, Cause I don't normally, like I'm not targeting them. They just kind of fell, but um, 
But yeah, they they went. I think they were strong in this draft. Do you think there's a sweet? And this is something that I didn't ask before. We didn't talk about. Do you think there's a sweet spot for those multi-eligible players? Because you got guys on the, on the extremes. Like let's say you got a Scott Kingery, where who we sort of just touched on, saying like, okay, if he if he if he is who he is last year, how often are you, is he really going to come into your lineup? But then you have a guy on the on the other end of the spectrum, like DJ Lemayhu, who has great flexibility. But really, are you passing on someone with like a legitimately better? Um, um, skill set or projectable skill set to really take DJ LeMahieu just because of his first, second, third eligibility. Do you see a sweet spot um, in the draft for, and I'm asking either of you guys, um, because I'm generally curious, do you think, do you see a sweet spot for that? I think it's that uh, in our draft, it was around, it was like right around pick 150, maybe a little bit before 150, but it's these kind of group of players, the Tommy Edmond, Mike Moustakis, Gene Segura. Like, Gene I think, Segura, I knew that guy was going to come yeah, up. <laughs> I, think, I think that's kind of the line where I start saying that that multi-eligibility starts to decline. It's not zero by any stretch. Like it just starts, I think it's kind of peaked at that point. And then you're starting to get players that um, – I think it's just it's just starting to decline a little bit. It doesn't mean like you know guys that went after that Nick Solak, Jake Cronenworth. Like those are those are like I think those guys still have value at multiple positions, but I do think it starts to diminish from that point. Um, right. And then you get you know you get down later, and it's like you know what does it matter? You know how much value am I getting from that? Yeah, I I felt like it was about the same spot, um, although um, I was really trying to. Um, again, like Derek was saying, not really target them, just like kind of let them fall into my lap where I felt like, you know, comfortable spot to take them, even if they maybe were a little less, um, you know, better skills wise than a person just qualifying for one spot. Um, but I felt like there was some guys that fell um, a little later um, that still had that kind of multi-eligibility value. Um, but one of the guys I took uh, was Adam Frazier, like in the 30th round. I just feel like, you know, he's a two-spot two, two guy and who's leading off. Um, and it just – I don't feel like he had the skill set that uh, that screams that he's, you know, it's going to really um, come out of that spot, especially on a, a shitty team. So um, – and even at Jubal Cabrera, you know, um, but again, like, again, they're not going to provide a, a ton of points, but I feel comfortable in, in some weeks with those, with those guys, um, just regulars, you know, that, that are in the lineup every day. Um, and finally found the love for Jason Hayward in some kind of league, right? <laughs> Jeez. When I will be curious <laughs> at the year, like to go back and look and see like, Hey, how often did Adam Frazier not start at second base? Right. Like how often was he an actual outfielder for you? Uh, because that'll be the, the, the test, right? It's like, I mean, I think as a second baseman, yeah, heck yeah, Adam Frazier, like, especially where you got him, like, that's incredible. And, and obviously you can get to, you know, second or get outfield eligibility on top of it. You know, that's just icy on the cake. But like, I would bet he doesn't start as your outfielder very often. I don't know who your other second baseman or your middle is, but my guess is he's more likely to start as second or middle than outfield. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. Cause yeah, he, he probably doesn't fall into that. Um, you know, as good as my other outfielders, although, right. um, yeah, I mean, he might like, he, he, yeah, might. he might, but if he does yeah. it two weeks, yeah. how much value is that? You know, you get a right. couple more points because he's just two more points, but you know, so it's like, it's hard to know. Right. It is hard to know. You just, when you pick it, it, it you know, you feel, it feels you feel good. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you feel, 
<laughs> I'm glad you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. About. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, fist pump there um, on the Adam Frazier. Um, yeah, so, okay. Um, talk about KDS. Did you guys um, put any any effort in or, or, or thought into it, or is it just like, did it, did it not matter to you? Were you trying to anticipate sweet spots in the first couple of rounds or the targets? Um, I'm in, I'm in a lot of drafts, as you probably know. So I'm not really, um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it, but I, I want to get a nice diversity. Uh, I want to get my first and second round pretty diverse as much as I can. There's players that I'm just certainly, there's players in the first and second round I just probably won't have just because of my preferences, but I want to get somewhat of a diverse portfolio of players, but in, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you my preference in, in 12 teamers, I either want to pick in the top three or pick at the back end, like a nine to 12. I don't want to pick, I know a lot of people want to pick in the middle because they feel like um, they want, like there's a certain group of players they're comfortable with to a, say seven or eight players. Um, but I think there's a, but I think in the 12 teamers, just looking at the player pool, I think there's a big drop off after about 48 picks. So like right after the fourth round. So I, I'd really like to be either in that case, I'd like to be at the front of the draft where I get one of those top 48 players and I'm not stuck at the end of the, at the end of the draft where I'm, I've sort of missed that tier. And I think there's also a big drop off um, at the beginning of round two. So like after the first 15 or 16 guys, that could be first rounders in like a 15 teamer. Um, I want, I want to be able to get two of those guys in a 12 teamer. So I, I really don't want to be in the middle of a, of a 12 teamer conversely, like on a 15, like in 15 teamers, I know we're not talking about that, but I really want, uh, some people want like a top eight pick because like they say like they're comfortable with everyone up to like say Mike Trout or Bieber or something like that. Um, so they can get an earlier round two pick. Um, um, but I want uh, in, in a 15 teamer, I want as close to the first pick as possible. Um, why? I think there's a tier like um, in the late second, early third that I really like. Um, and it runs out or it runs out like in the early third, like around maybe Bogarts, Tim Anderson. I don't know. I'm just throwing players out there. It's funny but you I, say that, Zach, but I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I kind of feel the same way when I, I did the DC and I'm looking at other DC draft boards. I, I, I feel the same way with that, that part of the third round where I'm just like, mm, yeah, you know? you're like, I'll take him, but it's like, I, uh, I, it's not a guy yeah. I really, really wanted. And just, yeah. to, just, to, just to finish off my thought here, it's like the, 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 over, the overarching thought here is I, I'd much rather have an early third round pick than an early second round pick. Like I'd, okay. rather, I'd rather have that advantage in the third round than the second. Gotcha. No, that makes total sense. Round. Yeah, no, gotcha. Derek, what about you? Did you have a KDS preference or? Um, so I don't play in a lot of leagues with KDS. In fact, last year was my first year doing it. I did a couple cut line leagues. So I'm still kind of... Uh, uh, feeling my way through that. I, I, I did look at this, this, you know, I looked at my projections. I kind of looked at my values and I felt like the top, like I wanted one of those top eight guys. Um, and, and normally I prefer like Zach, I want to be in the one through three or nine through 12 generally. Cause I, I just think that gives you a lot of flexibility um, as you're kind of planning round by round. Um, I like, you know, I'm okay with a couple picks in between me. I feel like it's easier to kind of think where a guy, you know, one of my opponents is going to go so I can try and see where, you know, kind of map out where I want to be. Um, but because I wanted one of those top eight, I set eight as my number one. So that, you know, and, and I, and I did get eight. Um, so I was, I was pretty pleased with that. Um, you know, I didn't know which one of the eight it was B. I was thrilled it was trout. That's, you know, I would have been happy with any of them. You know, one of those top three pitchers, one of those top five hitters. Yeah. I, I remember the first, um, first NFBC draft I did and, 
Um, I totally didn't know about the KDS, you know. It's uh, it, it was a very early, um, like, like a 50 league last year, and I just, oh, what's this, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, just learned about that, you know, just have to – see if that's something you want to like use in your toolbox. If you, if it matters, and I know I've seen a lot of people in league just not even said it. Um, so I, that's why I just wanted to ask that question. It's interesting to see how people approach that. Um, so I want to talk about roster construction in the draft. Um, basically, um, you know, your approach to the amount of batters and pitchers that you roster and then the positional breakdowns from there. Um, and and for Zach, um, as like a secondary question, just, you know, wh- wh- how do you compare any um, things to like a DC? Like if there was any roster construction um, things that, you know, matched how you approach a DC. So, um, yeah, either one of you guys want to start off with. Oh, take uh, it away, Zach. I'm curious yeah. to hear. All right. I can maybe knock off the, the second question first yeah, about the, the differences between a DC and the best ball here is, um, um, like, like I sort of mentioned before, um, in, in a best ball or DC, uh, like I'm, 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 I'm hoping to work backwards. Um, but in, in a best ball, you're, you're really focusing on positions a lot rather than, than scarce categories. Um, so it, it is a little bit easier. Um, and um, in the best ball, you're hoping um, for some efficiencies uh, from players that are, that are accustomed to the Roto, the Roto format or the fan tracks format. And um, I spoke about this with, with Derek um, quite at length about just players that are just because there's different scoring systems. These are players that are just more, that are just better players in this, um, this um, NFBC best ball format players that are high average, low walk players, players like your Dominic Smith, Lord Lourdes, Guriel, um, players like that. Um, um, in, in this NFBC, it's more quality over quantity, but in the fan tracks, it's more of a, uh, it's a numbers game. So it's like, you sort of think of fan tracks, you're, you're at the bar trying to pick up, it's a numbers game. And then in NFBC, you're trying to look for your wife and wow. you're trying to get some, wow. get some quality, right? Um, wow, look at you. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so, and um, the other difference is like in, 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 in uh, and I know, I know that was a difference between fan tracks and NFBC, but we're looking at, I know the question was DC versus best ball. Um, in DC, like another big example is the back end of your roster. So in, in DCs, I'm way, uh, and people, people differ in opinion on this. I'm, I'm way more uh, apt to draft like uh, players that are not assured of playing time, like your Jared Kalenix, your um, players, like um, even, even the Tommy John guys. Um, because there you're buying a you're buying a roster spot in 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 the DCs where like you're you're drafting Kalenic in round say 17 whatever and you're you're and you're planning um, later to draft somebody that's say like a bench player that's going to fill that draft that 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 roster spot that you've purchased uh, for X number of weeks hopefully two or three weeks only um, for Josh Reddick or whoever else is going to be in your lineup hopefully somebody better. Um, but in, in best ball, you're really buying that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but if you're buying like a, you're buying like um, um, a player that has um, the odds of um, putting points into your lineup. So you say you have three third basemen you've purchased. Each of those three third basemen have certain odds to put points into your lineup, and they have a certain odds of becoming a starter that week. And um, 
Let me ask you a question. Now you're on third baseman. I'm looking at your team. You have Jose Ramirez, Alec Bump, and then you have Nolan Jones. Do, are you anticipating him find, like replacing J-Ram and J-Ram getting moved? Or what's the thought behind Rocky? Yeah, that uh, is um, – that's a good question. <laughs> and, um, I didn't happened, mean to put you on the spot. I'm actually no, no, looking it's a good, at it's the a good, yeah. It's a good question. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to talk about that for sure. Um, and it's not somebody who I anticipated um, getting. And it's a good question because, like I said, I'm, I'm way less apt to draft guys like Nolan Jones in these best ball formats because you're really – you're like in the DCs, you're not taking a zero because you're, you plan to, to use someone in an intermediate period of time. Here, right. Nolan Jones could have been someone else. Nolan Jones could have been um, David Bodie or something that could have right. potentially been um, having odds to put stats into your lineup every week. But the reason is, to, to be quite honest, is the third base ran out real quickly. And yeah. I'm looking at my team. I'm looking at the other teams. And I'm like, there's no one There's no one left here. And um, and I'm realizing at J-Ram, I'm like, okay, J-Ram, like, hopefully he's going to be in my lineup almost every week. But if he goes down, then there's a good chance that Cleveland is – is they don't want to spend, they're forced to bring up Nolan Jones and start him at third base. So he's sort of like an insurance handcuff policy for me um, as uh, a last resort, not part of my original plan. Okay. I like it. Good explanation. Um, like well, and, and the first part of your question was. Um, yeah. Talk to me about your split in this league. Um, how many pitchers, how many batters and um, what you were trying to achieve through each position um so this this is this is pretty new to me so i'm still feeling out to be honest the the, the optimal uh, position stra- the position mix uh because there is no history for this there's, there's history from similar leagues but i'm i'm looking i'm looking at, at, the, at the other teams as we draft and i don't want to fall too much behind in pitching so say if like all the other teams have like between 18 and 22 pitchers i don't want to have like 15 because i know that it's, it's not an overall so i i want to be i want to like i'm 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 drafting the player players that I think are going to do well, but I don't want to be short on a position relative to the, to the other teams. Um, just in terms of roster construction, um, I don't know if you want to get into like um, the first couple rounds. Uh, I, I, that's, I didn't go too much further than the first couple rounds in terms of trying to plan out pitcher, hitter, hitter, pitcher. Um, what did you did, end up with in total? Um, like batters to pitchers out of the 46. Um, I'd have to count. I have two, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen pitchers. Nineteen, nineteen pitchers. Nineteen. Yeah. Nineteen pitchers, and I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have counts on the other teams. I don't know how that compares. You're, That's about average. You're in the range. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're at average. Yeah. I, I, want, I want it to. I want it to be. I don't. I don't want to still. I don't want to be really. Um, too far, too, 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 too much ahead, or too much behind the other, like the mean or the average of the other teams, because I feel like I'm hoping that I've done a good job of drafting the skill set. So I really want to do. I don't want to be too far behind in um, the, the splits. I don't want. I don't want to be an outlier. Is really what I'm saying. Right. Right. Um, you got uh, two shortstops too. You you feel pretty strong about not having a third there. Two shortstops. Um, you have Story and. Um, Willie Adamans. Like, I have no problem with Story or him. Uh, just You're talking about my team. Oh, sorry, looking at the wrong column. That's my bad. Me. Scratch that. You got four shortstops. You're fine. You got four shortstops. Yeah. And three youngins though: Tejeda, <laughs> um, Garcia, and Downs. Oof. Yeah, you Man, know you? the one the one thing that I don't like about my, that I, that I don't like about this team is that I've like 
I, d- I did a good job of limiting my risk on the, on the, on the front half of the draft. And but me and Derek were talking about having very there. different styles teams, but I took a lot of, I took, I, I went against what I'm saying. I took a lot of guys that don't really have a, a job in the back half of the draft. And it's something that, um, it's something that I probably would have tried to do, to do differently, but you know what, this was a tough draft. And when it came down to those rounds, I looked at the, I looked at the other um, veteran players and I'm like, those guys don't really have, I don't, I'm not really confident in them either. So I'd rather almost take players that I think should be up like gotcha. looking at, no, looking at the end like the guy that you mentioned was um jeter downs right yeah yep he might get it down to the garcia and in the santa hada um the three three youngins over there shortstop backing up mr timmy anderson so but you know if he stays in the majority of the time you should be okay and i think to hate him might get a shot yeah i like i like to hate him yeah he's a uh, 39 k rate uh not great but um Ooh. Looking at some of the other peripherals, um, and um, I've been in on him since the beginning of draft season. Just uh, uh, things are sort of fall- falling that way with Odor and um, what's his face, um, Andrews. Andrews, Andrews yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. really falling out of favor there. Right, right. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to touch base on with your roster construction approach? No, that's not unless you have any other questions. No, I dare out to pretty much it. I'm done looking at other people's teams and claiming they're yours. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, Derek, yeah, yeah, Derek, you tell us, uh, walk us through um, your approach here. Yes, I knew I wanted to hit a certain number of pitchers. Uh, I, 20 was the minimum. I, I would have liked to have gotten to 21, but I just didn't feel great. I, I waited a little longer at catcher than I would have liked. And so I, I took another swing at catcher, even if I'm not real thrilled at what I'd you know, where I ended up with a fourth get, fourth catcher is kind of a shot in the dark, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so I hit my 20 pitcher. So I was happy with that. Everything else, you know, I, I didn't have a goal as far as the other positions, you know, too much. I mean, I want to make sure I have enough outfielders. Um, but you know, there's a lot of outfield eligible guys. So in this format with multi eligibility, I wasn't overly concerned about hitting any specific numbers on these other players. You know, as long as I had, you know, at least three guys with eligibility at one position, I was pretty happy with that at the infield and then at the outfield I wanted to have maybe about nine guys minimum that qualified at outfield um so and I think I hit 10 or 11 so yeah so I was happy with those numbers uh the at least the raw numbers the qualities maybe another conversation but the the raw numbers I was happy with Yeah, but it's just, you know, again, like amassing the, you know, um, playing time and, and bodies and, you know, shares of guys that you think are going to be in the lineup. You know, I think that was the one thing I was trying to be conscious of. Um, like, there's a point where uh, I, you know, like kind of feel comfortable with who, where you're getting into that platoon range and, you know, you're just trying to look at split at a certain point in the draft and, you know, there was a, you know, there was a line where I'm like, okay, once you get up to like, I, and I think it was like mostly for outfielders where I kind of felt um, that guys were really just platoonish and not, mm-hmm. you know, going to give me a good chance. So I, I, I was trying to beat, um, you know, beat the, get to the front of the line in certain spots there where I felt like there was a drop off in uh, the platoon guys. Um, but you know, like we're constantly mentioning, it was a sharp room and it just wasn't, you know, um, trying to, you know, keep your eye on so many things mm-hmm. and, you know, something's gonna, you know, you're gonna drop the ball somewhere, you know, I, f- I feel like, um, so, and what, um, 
let's see. I wanted to ask you uh, specifically about um, oh, second second base. You uh, first base. You have Abreu and Choi, right? You have anybody else? Uh, there? Yeah, yeah, Bellinger. Oh, Bellinger. Oh, yeah. That's right. I see yeah. And Mike Muskakis, too. So, That's actually, right. okay. there's yeah, a lot of have, first base eligible guys. Yeah, first, yeah, a lot of first base eligible guys. How do you feel about um, Ha Song Kim? I know that um, we, you know, we've been discussing him in other drafts, too. Um, what do you think he's going to – have you seen, like, a landing spot possibly for him when I, you look at, like, rosters? I haven't, but but so my my thought process with him – is, is I've treated him differently than like a prospect uh, because he is going to play. It seems like he's going to play right away. Whatever team signs him, the, you know, the contract will be long-term. There's no benefit for, for arbitration. There's, you know, of holding them down or any of that kind of stuff. He's 25, you know, like, so this is a free agent. And so, okay. If I had a shortstop free agent that I felt guaranteed of starting playing time, who, you know, uh, seems to have skills that match this format, where would I draft him? And that's kind of where I ended up with, with Kim was like, okay, look, I think he's got a full-time job. He steals some bases. He's going to hit a few home runs. Even if that's all I know about him, that should put him in a certain kind of, kind of spot. Um, and so that's kind of where I draft him. I think I got him maybe around 200, um, something like that. I could have to look at that. Yeah, um, 16. Um, what is that? I can't do this 12 round math. I'm like, yeah, so it's not quite two. It's not quite 200. Yeah, um, but that's okay. You know, uh, yeah, know. but yeah. I, was, I was, but but I think a starting shortstop with those kind of skills, I was happy in that spot. Again, feeling confident that he would play all year. You know? Right, right. No, makes sense. Absolutely. Um, from what I've you know read and seen of him, he he seems to be ready to just move right into mm-hmm. um a spot. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about our um, you know, how we didn't. And approach the first five rounds. And Derek, I want to start with you. You started off with um, four straight batters before you went into your pitchers. Um, was that something that you were planning to do? Um, or that just kind of like fell in place? Um, so I, I knew that I was going to be at least two batters in before I took a pitcher. Um, I just, the way I have, the way my uh, projections have this. If I didn't get one of those top three studs, if I would have gotten one of Cole DeGrant Bieber, I'd have taken him, been happy, would have probably not taken a pitcher for three or four rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew if I didn't get one of those guys, I was probably going to wait. Um, the way I kind of my evaluations push the, it pushes hitters up in this format. Um, and I, I'm fine with that because I feel more comfortable with hitter projections than pitcher projections and, and pitcher risk and injury and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting on the last, uh, you guys talked in the last pod podcast about Ozzy Albies. It made me have to do some soul searching on my Albies, <laughs> my third round Albies pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually, I've taken him in a couple of drafts and, and after, you know, hearing you guys talk, I kind of went and looked at where, you know, the, the projections have him and, and what I had playing time for him. And uh, I actually bumped his playing time down a little bit. I think I had, I think I was over projecting the plate appearances based on where he'd been in the order, as opposed to where he's going to be in the order. Right. Um, and, uh, and I thought that was a good point you guys made. So I actually bumped that down. So 2020 hindsight, um, I would have loved to have taken a picture there. Um, I actually, <laughs> uh, I had Nola queued up and then he went right before albums. Mm, so yeah. um, that was one of those things where, you know, I didn't like second base. So I said, Hey, I like Albies as a player. I don't generally like second base. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just knock this out, and then I'm not going to worry about second base. Right. Um, 
Yeah, that was, that, that was strategy, and that, I think it's a good process, a good approach, you know. Um, but like you said, yeah, maybe, you know, because especially if you look at his, you know, past and you see those couple of years with the, you know, with the 700 paid appearances. Right, and it's, when he's yeah, up at the top, yeah. Right, yeah, and you do remember that, you know, like that's like um, that primacy bias, like where um, – you know, that was like the first thing we knew of Albies. He was just like a accumulator, you know, just mm-hmm. going to get mass amounts of volume. So, um, no, it's like I'm, I'm not upset. You know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be a pick that, that, that destroys this team or anything like that. Um, right. Right. He's within one or two rounds of where he should go, you know. I, right. You know, uh, yeah, so, so you ended up with Trout as your first pick at pick eight. Um, yep. And then on the back, um swing you got bellinger um mm-hmm. that was a pretty good land i think in the second round and it's so funny because you know i'm used to these 15 round drafts and when you see when you see some of these names in the second round you know kind of like it's crazy yeah i i i i'm like where am i right now like what's happening you know you see lindor <laughs> ramirez story like these guys are never in that second round and it was you know it's 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 a little bit of a you know, it's a little bit of a brain fuck because you're just like, wait a minute, like, what's going on? Like, who else is everybody drafting? And then you're like, oh, 12 team, you know. Um, and I think this was right after his shoulder surgery was announced. I think right, that, yeah, yeah. So, so I, think, <laughs> I, think it was. I think without that surgery, maybe he goes a couple picks. You know, I mean, obviously, there's only so many spots he could have gone. So, um, but I, you know, I would have expected him to go closer to the turn without that, without that shoulder surgery. But that could just be, you know, me being higher on him than, than others are. That position flexibility helps Bellinger too. I think that matters. Yeah, yeah. Right. especially crossing those two positions that early. You know, first. Thing. Yeah, we talked about that. That uh, having second and short is not as valuable as um, first and outfield, and and even more so is probably second and third, like a middle yeah. middle mm-hmm. and corner. Yep. We yeah, call that, it. Uh, what do we What do we call it, Derek? We call it intra or intra <laughs> intra corner flexibility. Uh, we put an accounting name on it, and we liked yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> I knew we liked it. It it needs a name. All these all these kind of you know um, multi eligibility player. Um, I even like the like the guys who are multi eligibility and also multi like categorical um, yeah. kind of guys. You know, and I want to combine a name for that. Like I I think I have a notepad somewhere with a bunch of stuff, but that I ended up just crossing out. But. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. All right. So, Derek, uh, let me finish out here with your first top five. So, after Albies, and we discussed Albies, then you went Abreu in the fourth round before you hit on your um, Lance Lynn. I feel like I feel like with your strategy, um, kind of like my DC strategy last year, where I loaded up on hitters first, but I knew that I wanted to land on a guy like Lance Lynn if I was going to, you know, make – uh, like a later anchor, a later inning eater type. And he's like the perfect guy, I feel like, to always start off a pitching core later on in your build. Well, and especially in this format, he's a very format-specific beast. Um, he pitches a lot of innings. You know, they're, they're, they're not the best, but they're quality innings. Uh, he gets Ks. Um, he's going to pitch deep into games. Like, you know, so – and now he's on a better team, you know, I thrilled with that. Landed into that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So he's a guy, you know, that I can put 200 innings at the top of my rotation and feel really good about that, knowing that I'm kind of playing catch up, you know, relative to the other teams at that point. Right. Right. I like that. I like to start. That's how I usually like to start um, my teams off with a whole bunch of hitting and then 
attacking some pitching. Zach, in your first five rounds, um, you had pick 11. You went Trevor Bauer in your first round, and then you came back with Jose Ramirez. Tremendous pick right there. And Tim Anderson, um, Zach Gallen, and then your fifth pick was Salvador Perez. So um, walk me through your, um, um, your little path over there that you took in building your team. Okay. Well, um, I haven't, like I said, I haven't done any projections yet, or I haven't, um, I haven't, I haven't done projection yet. What I, what I did, but I, what I did want to do is I did want to map up my first four rounds. Um, and doing so, I looked at like last, I looked at last year's points per game and I didn't really care, um, how players slotted in. I just, I just looked at the first 48 players, which would be four rounds. And I went and I, and I noticed about 15 of those guys would be pitchers, which, in this case, I'm saying 15 because that's what it happened to be 15 pitchers and um, 23 or um, 15 hitters. And, and I think um, 15 plus 30, 33 hitters. Um, so if you look at that, um, the, in, the, in the first round, your, the, your hitters are going to get you, the hitters in that turn are going to get you about six points per game. So if you, if you say there's six games a week, that's going to get you 36 points a week, um, regardless of who you are, who they are, just taking the players that you, that you personally have value as the, as the best. And pitchers, I feel there's only going to be about four pitchers that are going to get you over 20 points a game. Some people might include Darvish in that. I don't just because I don't, I don't like him um, just because of his age and injury risk and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm no, just I'm go ahead and tweet him right now. Just uh, because you, I don't like him. You, did you hear this? He doesn't like you. He's talking smack. <laughs> you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like you. Um, <laughs> So um, I, I crushed the numbers and I looked at the, I looked at the first four rounds and I looked at that. And then I looked at the replacement value, the increment. I'm not, I'm not going down to the replacement value, like in round 30, I'm looking at the replacement value, like in round five, six, seven, eight. Right. And, I'm, and, and to, to cut you through the math, basically if um, what, the, what the math showed is if I, if I went pitcher first um, pitcher hitter, um, a pitcher hitter, and then um and then a, and a pitcher, a pitcher first, and then um, a hitter second, and then the next two picks would have been a, one pitcher and one hitter. It's gonna, it's gonna be optimal that way. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be basically how it worked out is that um, even regardless of, based on last year's um, how 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 the point how the how the point variance worked, not really looking at who's who's ranked where. I didn't care. I'm just gonna take whoever I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take whoever I think's best. But how it worked out in general was that um, taking a pitcher first was the play there in terms of um, um, points over replacement value in the next round. So I did pick, take Bauer because I felt like he was the last in a tier for me. Um, I didn't, because I didn't, I didn't want Darvish. And I felt that somebody else was going to, someone between Freeman, um, Story, and Ramirez would fall back to me. And uh, Ramirez happened to fall back to me, which would have been my first pick uh, of the three, um, right. just because of his position. Um, so it, I, I was pretty happy about that. And then uh, Timmy Anderson um, fell to me there, um, which I was happy about because um, it filled up my shortstop position. And then, and then Zach Allen. I was, um, those were four picks that I was very happy with. Um, and, and then getting to the fifth pick, Salvador Perez. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and, and, and looking at the, the I guess, the, um, the positional bump for catchers in these leagues. And, uh, and in particular, uh, these best ball leagues. And, and it is significant. And um, you, you can crush the numbers on that uh, to a degree. Um, so I did take Perez because um, uh, because of that. And it's not some it's not a pick that I would normally make. Uh, maybe my draft strategy. Maybe I'm getting better or worse at drafting. I don't know. But um, I feel like Perez is sort of like 
I'll, I'll throw a term out there. I'll, I'll throw a new term out there. He's sort of like broccoli. He's like an, it's like not a, it's not like a, it's not like a, a, like a sweet pick or anything. It's like, it's sort of like an acquired case to your draft. Like I'd call like a, what Merrifield's like a broccoli pick. Um, Salvador Perez, maybe anyone on the Royals is like broccoli. Uh, you don't want, you don't want to Kansas, draft the Kansas City broccolis. Yeah. You don't want to draft too many. You, you, can't, you can't, you want to draft, French, you want to draft French fries. Like you want to draft like your, um, I don't know, like Randy or Rosa Arena. He's like a, he's a nice, uh, he's a nice little uh, order of French fries in, in round four and some of these DCs, but you can't draft all French fries. You gotta, you gotta have a balanced diet. And, um, <laughs> beg and, to um, differ on that. <laughs> I know too many. We have a cheeseburger reference, and we have a French right. fry reference. Right. But uh, it's, uh, maybe I just want some McDonald's or something. But um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, I'm I'm trying maybe it, I'm trying to evolve as a drafter here and 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 it take guys that I wouldn't normally pick because um, maybe maybe just because of their upside. But um, you really need to have those um, stabilizers, and you really need to look at like just maybe like you're not as not as exciting picks, just like picks out of necessity, right? Um, that's why I call them. It's sort of an acquired taste because you've drafted for a while, and just just knowing that you need to that this this doesn't always feel like a fun pick, but it's a pick that you'll um, you'll you'll be thankful you made later when you don't have to be scrambling for catchers later on. So yeah, right, no, I took some, uh, I took some broccoli there. No, I, no, I get I I I don't get the broccoli thing, but I get the I get the catcher bump up. I, I've always been a big catcher bump up guy. I think the first fantasy league I played in, Mike Piazza won me the league, and it was probably because he hit three sixty with forty nine homers. But um, <laughs> uh, I get it. I get the I get the catcher bump. I I had Real Muto as um, like the fifteenth, sixteenth ranked player overall um, with the with the replacement value kicked in and. I probably would have took him where I took Giolito if I didn't, you know, if Giolito didn't land there. Because Giolito's a guy I, I have as a guy I'll take in the first round at the end really? of the first round. Yeah. Once the Even in 12s? Um, I don't think I would have done it in this 12, but I think okay. in a 15 in a DC, um, I, I'm, I'm probably that, that, that's, that's the guy that I'm, that's the pitcher I, I'm probably taking in the back end of, okay. of drafts. Yeah. Um, but I, who knows, you know, I'm, uh, if there's some days where I feel like I, I would put him in that top 12, but, uh, I, I feel comfortable, especially in these points leagues, um, to, you know, to, uh, I mean, I targeted pitches in this in this league in the first two rounds. And then I planned on not picking them for like 12 rounds, but somehow like Hendricks was staring me in the face in the seventh round and I just couldn't resist jumping on the pitcher bandwagon again. Um, so again, uh, something that happened in mid draft that uh, totally changed my path, but uh, just because of what was available. Um, but um yeah, so um, I get the whole Salvi bump. I like it. It's probably a little high for my taste in the fifth round of a twelve-man league, but I, you know, I would put him in in I think my top ninety-ish overall. Um, but I like it. I like the pick, you know, and I like I like. I'm, the try, I'm trying to wrap my head around what like I know Real Muto is, goes in the third round um, like clockwork, but with with stolen bases not being as premium uh, in these best balls, I'm trying to I'm trying to. I'm trying to rationalize in my head. What's what, how is Sal Perez that much different than real Muto in terms of what you'd expect from him? I think playing time's a big one for me. Um, Sal Powell's like injuries have become a problem 
Um, mm. And they're not all the same type of injuries, and they're not – some of them are a little fluky. But go, go creep on his injury timeline, if I can plug that for a second. Mm. Uh, it's very colorful. He's, he's – you know, and, and he's played through a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, he was guy, you know, kind of just the Iron Man of, of catchers for a while. But now he's 30. He's coming off two back-to-back seasons with, with pretty extensive injuries. Um, I, I worry about taking the play. Like, I think there's a lot of downside playing time risk for a guy like him and a, a position that already has a lot of injury risk built into it. Um, I think Rio Muto could play even if he's not a catcher. Like, he's not as valuable but even but to a real-life team. But if he's like, okay, well, we can't – you know, he's got a knee or a hip or something. He has to DH, you know depending on where he signs, they would probably do that. Um, you know, Salvador Perez, if he has something nagging, like I just don't think they're going to DH him even in Kansas city. So for me, it's, it's a playing time thing. Like I'd rather wait till a younger guy like Wilson Contreras. I think he's younger. I say that very confidently. I'm pretty sure he's yeah. younger. Um, yeah. Um, or again, Yasmani Grandal, another guy who could sneak some DH time. Maybe we don't really know because their team's kind of in flux, but those guys went off, you know, four rounds later. Um, and so I, for me, I'm probably putting Salvador Perez more with those guys, even if I think he might have been the next catcher drafted. Like, I, I, like, I think he probably deserves to go up front of those guys. You know, I, you know, then maybe that's a personal preference thing, um, but I would want him closer to where those guys are going. Um, good point. I, Definitely something to think about. That's a good point. Yeah, that's exactly what I was uh, saying. Like, in that, like that ninety-ish, a hundred, like when the yeah. next Contreras, Smith, uh, Grandal um, range, and they all know, like, say, you know, say, same thing, like right around those guys, or right before them, you know, mm-hmm. in that general area. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that, but I don't, I, was I don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. You don't I get the bro- you don't get the broccoli reference though. You don't, no, you, we don't, you don't get that, though? <laughs> Listen, we're past it's the broccoli. Yeah, get broccoli out of my life. Yeah, <laughs> more broccoli. I'm a vegetarian. It's I an acquired food. taste. It's, 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 it's broccoli Canadian, all day right? for I mean, me. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> all right, and so, Zach, walk me through the, you know, like your basically overarching strategy since you're talking about your team for the rest of your draft, like after that point. I, I, I really like who you went with um, with the next two picks in the sixth and seventh. I really liked the Marte Goriel um, back to back. That that was really nice. Um, uh, then you went with an interesting Devin Williams. Um, I don't know if that's an anticipated closer role situation, or you're just banking on some you know wins out of out of a non closer perhaps. And um, one other guy I wanted to ask you about was I wanted to ask you about your expectations for Nick Sandell this year. I want to see what you have and uh, what you see in, in him this year. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the next couple of rounds, Mark, like uh, as we discussed, uh, second bases, um, get, it, it uh, gets pretty thin as we'll, we'll get to in our, um, in our, in our draft later on. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to get Kendall Marte, um, elite contact skills. I think he has a lot of um, room to bounce back. Uh, extra velocity things I look at. I think he just has a great skill set. Um, mm-hmm. After that, um, I took Guriel. I think uh, that's a pick that um, whenever he gets taken, I'm pissed. I'm sure I pissed off a lot of people taking taking Guriel. I think he's. <laughs> I think his. Um, I think his. Um, um, value or whatever you want to call it, cost is great. I think um, he's a player that's gonna whatever, however, however you want to slice it. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be moving up boards along with my next pick, Alec Baum. Um, I know people are are um, are comparing him to, um, to Brian Hayes, but um, I like Baum over Hayes. Um, just, uh, He's on a better team, better offense. 
Yep, and I think he's um, I think he's great for these formats. Um, Even if they lose Gene Hagura and Real Muto, and <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think I, I think he, I think he'll be fine. Um, is, the, is it that much better if they lose those guys? I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who is Cabrian the best hitter for? I mean, he could be the best hitter for the Pirates. No, year, I say, right? yeah, like, it, 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 it's probably a little better, but it, it, it doesn't. You know, it's I don't know what the Phillies are doing. Uh, I, I Brian Hayes sort of reminds me of Lindor when he came up. Like I think I, I missed on Lindor. Like I thought he was a defense first guy, and I think um, I, I, I was always under the impression Hayes would be like was overrated for fantasy, but um, yeah. sort of rated for real life. But that's sort of proved me wrong um, so far. But it's still a really small sample size, and um, of course, yeah. Absolutely. So I I, I want to see like especially because I wasn't in on him to begin with in my own bias. I want to see more than that. Whatever whatever it was a month mm-hmm. on him. Um, um, going and then my overall my, my overarching strategy here was to um, yeah to get two anchors two or three anchors on my pitching staff um, like I did like I said I did get Bauer and Gallon I was aiming to get Framber Valdez um, as my third pitcher I think he's a great third pitcher for this format but he was sniped by um, a great guy named Phil Dussault, a great Canadian yes, um, uh, so he would have been he would have been somebody I would have looked at around that range but it worked out because I got some hitters I liked. Um, uh, Dylan Moore is a guy I like a lot. And I heard, um, I heard some people talking about him. I heard, um, Dave on his podcast, uh, um, sh- um, throwing some love out at, uh, Dylan Moore, um, who's, um, has some dual eligibility. Also the first pick in the stupid draft, uh, the first mm-hmm. overall pick in the stupid draft, but uh, I'm going to, I'll go down with that. I, I like Dylan Moore. I think, um, I actually, um, I, I actually just mind the, mind the news for like things that are just, um, I just search, I just search for player news on players and what play what other players or managers are saying on him. And I saw this interview with Kyle Seager, and Kyle Seager was saying, "Man, Dylan Moore is our best player. He hits the ball harder than anyone. He's an amazing athlete." And Kyle Seager was just raving on on Dylan Moore like he was Mike Trout. And if you look at some and if you look at all his all his all his hits on if you, if you go on on uh, Savant, you can you can see all of his hits and you actually click on it and do some do some of the eye test. He, he hits the ball hard. He's a, he's a really good player. I know there's some injury can maybe some injury concerns. Uh, I know that Dave was saying that uh, they, they did, they didn't give him a high injury risk, but, um, and there is, and I, I think like some people might be thinking there is some playing time risk with all of the rookies coming up. In the oh, year I don't think France. so. Yeah. I don't think I, so. I think he, I think he's a, I think he's a really, really good player. Right. And I know maybe he's devalued in this format because of like, he's reliant on stolen bases, but still like those stolen bases count here. And he does yeah, have, I, he does, he's not a rabbit. He's, he's hitting home runs too. Right. And um, yeah, I think he could be, he could be a, like, I could see him being like a, like a Biggio, taking the Biggio path um, and maybe even be a bit better. Um, like, uh, like he's I going around so. where Biggio went last year. And I think you can see him maybe being like a fifth round type guy next year. I, I mean, I was, I felt myself constantly watching West coast on the MLB package this year. And I was constantly drawn to the Padres and I had on the Mariners a lot. I had a lot of, you know, DC shares and like guys like Sheffield and Don was constantly watching those thoughts and more just always caught my eye. He's just like a gamer, you know, and he's, he smashes the ball. He, he, he was hitting different type of pitches everywhere. Um, I don't know, I like him, you know, yeah, I, he's I, going, I, like some of the awful bombs he hit. I know we're on the pole hitter podcast and, 
<laughs> I don't know if it's frowned about to talk about oppo, oppo tacos. Is that is that bad? No, it's not frowned upon because oh. you know there's there's, there's value. <laughs> they know there's studies that show you know the value of oppo homers and 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 what they do to you know a, a power skill set the next year. And um, yeah, I like it. I mean, I. I I I, pref- I can't hit opposite field. That's why I am the pull hitter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I I definitely um, appreciate the oppos, you know, because it's a skill that I don't own. <laughs> right. Um, and then the other guy you talked about was, that you want that you asked about was Sinzel. I think I took him in what round twenty six. Yeah. So twenty twenty five. Um, I know he had he had a really bad um, he really had a really bad season last year. I, I believe I, under two hundred under, under two hundred batting average. But um, I believe he has the skill set to be a 2020 player. And um, I think people are worried about his injury history, his playing time. But, man, Shogo, I don't know, did, you guys, did either of you guys got draft Shogo in this league? Yes, I did. I don't know if he's any good. Um, I don't know when you drafted him. But I, I had but another, another thing that played into me drafting Senzel is I had Winker, too. So, um, mm-hmm. in a best ball, um, if there's some sort of split, um, I, I have some sort of a little bit of a safety net there, but I think Senzel is a player. He, he has that skill set to be a player like, like your Kyle Lewis, like, um, like, like your Trent Grisham. They could, they could take that leap that has, he has in round 25, he has the potential to be like a fourth or fifth round pick next year easily. So I think it was a pure upside pick. Um, with, I like your um, Kingery pick actually um, in round 29 with the dual eligibility and also yeah. um, he, he, he had a sneaky September if you dig in into, into his back cast in September and his max, you know, max back there, the velocity, he turned it on when he came back and he got a little healthy and I really like that pick because he he's like one of these post type guys, right? Like mm-hmm. a year ago, he's going 180. Now he's, you know, he's slipping into the low threes. Um so I really, you know, that was a pick. I I was like, I had him, I had him up in the queue, ready to, you know, he was in that like Adam Frazier mode to me, and I think he, he you took him right before I took Adam Frazier. So it was probably I remember in my brain it was one or the other for me. No, no I like you. I like your Frazier yeah. pick too. I think that was a good pick. I know you were talking about him before. But right. Yeah. I like that pick um, too. And then you, I see you also went Louis Severino. How many? Um, what do you What are you anticipating innings wise for him? Eighty. I don't know. Hundred. That was one of those picks where, like, if I, I don't know, it's, it's just like he was. Where did he fall to? Like, pick four hundred or something like that? Uh, he was round thirty-five toward the end of round thirty-five. So again, I'm so not good thirty-five that. times twelve is what four twenty. Um, yeah, I picked after after four hundred. You know what? Like, yeah, I mean, you look at the guys that go around them: Nick Pavetta, Josh Fleming, um, Merrill Kelly, Alec Wood, uh, Kyle Wright. Um, so well, look like I didn't. I did I pair him with someone right after I took him. Um, right before you did, you did Richard Severino. Oh no, no, sorry. I, t- I right after like two rounds after I, t- I took Clark oh, straight yeah. after him. Oh okay. So yeah, okay. I, I was sort of hedging my best here. I, I don't, I don't. Of those Tommy John guys, I don't really like Severino. Like I don't. I I feel like he's had a myriad of injuries, um, as you probably know, Derek. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got the Tommy John not, squad. You got the Alex yeah. Reyes. You got Corbin Martin. You got Severino, Alex, uh, Garrett Richards. Yeah, but the, yeah, but those are guys that all those other guys should be at least starting the year Passed right away. It. Like they're not. Yeah. They're not guys. They're not like this. You're, it's not like I'm taking Chris Sale, Severino, and, and Thor all together. Right. Um, those are guys that, are, that I'm picking late in my defense that, that like, yeah, they have injury risk. Um, but he, I, I feel like Severino is a guy that you don't really want to have in these type of leagues. Um, and I know Derek and I had discussed this. He's, 
he's not really, yeah, he's not really a player that you really want to draft. But um, going that late um, sort of fell into that trap. It's like you fall, you fall. It's I did something where like you probably shouldn't do, where like you're like, oh, I'm I'm gonna pass on this guy. See, like in in our draft right here, we had guys that were just getting like in like if you look at their previous ADP from the draft that me and Derek uh, completed beforehand, guys who just were going like way way later than um, than than the, their previous pick, like guys like Corey Kluber, Frankie Montas, um, I don't know who, who else, like Patrick Corbin. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little, for, a little <laughs> foreshadowing there. It's like if you if you're if you're really if you're passing on if you passed on Frankie Montas or no, bad example, let's take Corey Kluber. He's a better example. If you're, if you're passing on Corey Kluber for all these players that that you've taken in front of him, why all of a sudden are you taking this player? Like if, if he's worse, if Corey, I'm looking at the board right now, he went around 23. If Corey, if any, everyone passed on him, if Corey Kluber's worse than um, Tariq Skubal, Nathan Yavaldi, um Mike Miner, Sean Manaya, why is he all of a sudden better than um, I'm looking um, Michael Kopech? Uh, or anyone like you know what I mean like if, if you've passed it if you if you value him less than all the other players that have passed already why all of a sudden are you t- are you taking him just because he's fallen past like 100 pitch of his ADP and maybe that was a mistake I made with Severino just because he's fallen so much like do I gotta take him here you know what I mean I guess it you know it all depends what you've rostered up until then and that's you know obviously the way I you know that you have to really be conscious of drafting if if you feel like you have nine pitchers, 10 pitchers up until that point that, you know, that are solid inning eaters slash non been hurt guys, you know, maybe you're more willing to take on a Kluber. I feel the same way about the Severino. Like um, at some point in the draft, maybe his possible 80 to 100 innings is better than some guys 130, 140. Um, you know, you just have to try to, I guess, you know, forecast when that point comes, you know. Um, yeah, you know, I don't hate the pick. I just, you know, I was wondering, you know, what your expectations were of him this year if you if you feel yeah. like he's – no, yeah. Like, not much. Know, I think, uh, honestly, of the, of the three guys between Sale, Severino, and Syndergaard, I'm the most confident in Syndergaard because um, I heard – I read something where he said, I, I'm, like, determined to get back by the beginning of the season, which is probably not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. But, but on oh, the same token, the Mets – I know they have new ownership. They've always been terrible at keeping their pitchers healthy. And I think, I believe he's like um, on, on his last year um, under control there. So they Humpty, just might, they just might just, they just might ride him like a horse. And he's got the hammer, you know, Zach? <laughs> yeah. He's the God of thunder. I mean, he's, yeah. got, he's got the he, hammer. He might, if he wants to go and he's, he says he's ready, the Mets just might say, you know let's roll the dice, give him, let, let him pitch. I, I see there's, I see the I see there's innings risk in Severino because they have such a good bullpen. They might he might only go four or five innings tops every time. Uh, sale his team's garbage, so they might right. not even try and push him back until um, August maybe. So I think of those three, I think uh, honestly, like I think I know Sale's going first. I like Severino. I, I like sorry, I like um, Syndergaard. Uh, most of those three pitchers. I was surprised how early uh, Syndergaard and Sale went. Um, yeah, me Sind- too. Syndergaard went twenty fourth round. 
sale 28th round. Uh, I was surprised by both of those, especially, you know, in comparison to then Severino falls Zach to you in 30, inside 35, like, you know, think he might be even, on the field before any one of them. And even then, like I wasn't, I didn't love the pick as you can tell, like two pick, like, right, I, I made right. sure to get Clark Schmidt because like the Yan- Yankees most likely make an acquisition, but like, I figured like in round 30s, what is it? 35 and 37. If I can get one of those, if one of those pitchers are getting either of those two rounds, it's good. If I can get someone going, um, giving me something between those two, then it's um, not terrible. Gotcha. All right, Derek, um, just walk us through the rest of your um, overarching strategy from, you know, the the fifth round on after you um, rostered uh, Lance Lynn. Um, you went a little back-to-back hater Berrios as well. One of my favorites, Jeff McNeil. Um, love him this year. Um, yeah, give me um, a little breakdown of, of – yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and it's already another – one of my favorites at round 23, Mr. Justin Turner. So all I'll hit the ball as hard as anyone in the league kind of guy. But again, goes the floor. Yeah. So I, I knew that uh, from where I started pitching that I was going to be targeting a lot of innings was going to be my goal. I didn't necessarily need, I mean, I prefer quality, but uh, I knew I needed to make it up in quantity. So a lot of the guys that pitchers I drafted aren't like, I'm not, thrilled with their talent, but I think they'll stay in rotations. I think there's a good chance they pitch, you know, upwards of 150 innings, which I think after, you know, after the 10th round, 150 is about all you should be projecting for a pitcher. Um, because if they were pitching 200 innings, they'd be going earlier. Right. Um, Makes sense. Uh, so, you know, guys like Chris Bassett, like I don't believe that Chris Bassett is going to be what he was last year, but I do think he'll stay, he'll stick in the rotation all year. Um, it's why I drafted Patrick Corbin, Brad Keller, Mike Miner. Like, talk about a, a threesome of guys. that's just like I'm. I don't think any of them are very good, but I think you know, they'll all have jobs. Mike Miner, um, but underneath the hood last year, he, he some little wonky Babbitt, little wonky um, home run, the fly ball rate. Uh, I don't know. Nothing like really changed dramatically. The fastball you know? velocity stayed down. I was right, a little. Right, I didn't love that. that. Did. Right. Uh, but, you know, he's going to Kansas City. You know, I can live with that. I mean, I didn't know that at the time. But, I, I, you know, again, I was okay with that. Right. Um, I like that pick too. Absolutely. Uh, and then I just was kind of taking hitter injuries – or, excuse me, hitters that I felt like <laughs> fell too far. So, Turner. Turner was a great – like, I Turner will have a job. Like, I feel very confident that Turner will have a job this year. Absolutely. And, you know, this is the 23rd round. I just thought he was, you know, the best. He had the, he was the best hitter I had on my board at the time. And I was like, well, look, I need a pitcher, but I'm gonna go ahead and take Justin Turner. Um, he's one of those guys when, when I look at, you know, the metrics I look at, he, he just stands, he stands out. And like in, in terms of like overall, like batting skill, he, he's mm -hmm. so, so high up on my board. Obviously I'm not taking him because at, you know, that early because you can get him later, but I I love his skill set. And, and, and I agree with you, even, even in a limited like role, like even if you put him at 400 at bats, Mm -hmm. 450 at bats, he's just going to smash the ball when he gets in there. So, and And I do think he's the, kind of yeah. guy who could get those in a bunch because right. he's a little injury prone. So he could get those 450 at bats, you know, in the first part of the season and then miss the second half or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Freddie Peralta is a pick I'm not typically making. Um, he's not my kind of guy. Uh, I, I, I think 
I know. I, Zach, like, <laughs> I, I, I drafted him. I think this is the earliest I've taken him. Um, you knew he wasn't going to back you. Know, you knew no, he wasn't coming back. No, <laughs> I, I was just getting to the point where pitching, I just didn't love where it was going and I, I needed some more quality. You know, I think he has a couple different paths to being valuable. He could be a, a multi-inning guy in the, in the, um, in the bullpen. And maybe I get a couple weeks where he's, uh, where he gets, you know, four or five innings in a week over across two starts, gets a win, some strikeouts, things like that. And that's obviously going to be valuable enough to start when you start nine pitchers. Um, I would prefer him to fall into the starting job a little bit like Corbin and get me a more like 130, 140 innings uh, that might be kind of pie in the sky. But I do think there's a couple different paths for him being valuable. Um, uh, I already took, uh, see, I took Mike Myers, who that pick's already uh, devalued significantly. Right. Yeah. Um, the is moving. Yeah. yeah so, you know, he's a guy, at least he last year, he got a lot of strikeouts. So, you know, you kind of hope. Um, that he can uh, continue that. Um, Andrew Stevenson in the 30th round, I really, looking back on that, um, I think that was a bad pick. Um, I just think, I'm not sure he would have gone that early. Um, he was, he's a negative valued player on my, on my projections. Um, but I was, I was mobile that day and he, he was a name that I kind of liked. So I just took him. Um, it's interesting so- because it was one of the ones where when I got, you know, I stepped back down the computer and I'm just looking at the last couple of picks and, um, like I kind of like immediately went to see if there was any news on him. Not, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not because, uh, you know, like I think he's a bad player or anything. It was just one of those, like, wait a minute, did, did he just fall into right. something? Like, you know, like, like did, had I missed something? But, um, yeah. you know, I guess I don't think it's a horrible, you know, pick. It's but a 30th it just, round. Right. <laughs> it was just one of those things where, like, again, like I said, I, I immediately went to the news to see, like, if there was something on him that, you know. Yeah, he may not have a job. Like, we don't know that he has a job. Right, right. Yeah, that's the big thing. Right. That was one of those I'd take that back if I could. Um, But, yeah, so then the rest of the the draft is just trying to fill out innings. So, you know, Johnny Cueto, Anthony DeSclafani, John Gray, Caleb Smith. I didn't necessarily do those in order. But, like, I'm just getting innings to fill out my rotation, try and get as many of them I can, Um, take a couple shots on some closer uh, candidates, Daniel Bard, just hoping that he holds together for one more year. Maybe he's a closer out in Colorado. Um, right. Even if you get only uh, first month with eight, eight or 10 saves, you know. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I like the Gratterall pick near the end, man. Like, I like him more than a lot of the other picks. Like, I like, I, I like him more, like, in Why do you like him rounds. so much, Zach? I mean, I, I don't really see the K opportunities for him. I mean, he's not really yeah. showing me that he's, he's put the, Yeah, put he's sort of like the relief version of Sixto Sanchez. Mm, nice. Yeah, good comp. Okay. Um, yeah. 45. I, I Sorry? <laughs> yeah. But around 45. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, no, I think, I, think he's, I think that's a great pick. Um, broccoli? Broccoli pick or not? No, broccoli? no, I don't, that's not a broccoli pick. That's more like yeah. a French – that's, that's, like, that's, like, um, that's like a discount French fry pick. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah, even... No, I, I know because I think, like, L.A., like, there's a couple like, – I don't know, like, is, Jansen could – Get injured or lose his lose the role. They're 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 not they're not hundred percent confident with him. So right. if if that does happen, which is unlikely um, at this stage, but still in the realm of possibilities, who fills that role? Like Gratterall is on is near or on the top of that list. I know they have tra- training. Do they still have him or is he free agent? I, I know they're they, free agent. Free, free so agent. he might he might not be there anymore anymore. I know they picked up Knabel, but um he's um they they like he was um. 
as good of a prospect as anyone. He throws hard and yeah, he's a good pitcher. And, uh, and even, even, even if he doesn't like, like see how valuable Devin Williams was last year, um, even without any saves that's, that's, and that goes along with your Freddie Peralta paths to value. Um, Gratterall could be somewhat of that same pitcher getting some wins in, on a good team at that late of a pick. Like he could, he could fall, he could fall into your lineup a couple of times. Yeah, and my thought process was the the Dodgers are a team that uh, is not afraid to pull a starter. Um, right. Yeah, they're not going to yeah. just leave a starter out there for five innings. I think Gratterall is the kind of guy who could come in for you know he comes in in the fourth, and all of a sudden I've got a guy who pitches two innings and he's in line for a win. Um, I think that that's the kind of guy he could be. I agree the KI upside's not there, and I didn't draft him expecting it to get there. Um, it'd be nice, it'd be gravy if it did, uh, but at that point I'm drafting a guy who I think again could be could get four to five innings in a week. Maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't, right. but I, no, absolutely. Um, I think that that is um, about as much as you can expect at that point um, in the draft. Uh, no, I so like I, that. I like the spec. I like that stab at a guy like that. Um, Cause like you said, it's just like the usage, you know, recognizing team trends and league mm-hmm. trends and, and, and trying to, you know, I just, it's especially how starters are, you know, going a lot um, shorter in games and believers are picking up more wins. So if you could jump on that type of trend and anticipate um, a reliever jumping into, um, you know, seven wins, maybe, you know, um, it's same reason why I like the uh, same guy on the team as Victor Gonzalez, you know, it's just a lefty too. It just seems like he, uh, I like that pitcher. And like you said, the way the Dodgers use their pitchers, the um, guys like that can fall into some value, you know? So, all right. So we've come to the, um, the big, the big part of the, the podcast, the one that got a lot of hype on Twitter and a lot of hype in our group chat is the, the stupid pick draft, um, uh, that was so eloquently, um, asked by Phil Dussault in our little group chat. He, uh, he wanted to have some fun with roasting people's picks and everyone was really cool about it. Um, and I, it just took like a, it just took like a world of its own after that, you know, and um, even got mentioned by, by Chris at baseball pods when he tweeted out uh, the poor hitter pod, you know, he tabbed it as one of his highlights of the show is the, the stupid pick draft. And um, this is pretty cool. I'm like, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that like something became of this and um, you know, like, no, I'm serious. Like in the future too, it's like more listener league that, that I want to do. And I feel like this is going to be the staple, like, uh, you know, a staple of the show is just getting some guys on and roasting each other's picks. So um, you, can't, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I think, nope, this, I think nope. this is great. Because- well, you know, it's, it's great because like, you know, Derek just admitted that he went back and had to look at a couple of things and I, it makes us all look at things, you know, like I, I, I stayed up until 4am that night looking at Peter Londo's, you know, like, <laughs> Why doesn't Phil like him? You know, come on. You know, um, Phil's okay with them. It's the, the system doesn't like him. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's two different people. And um, super system. Yeah, like Doyle, Doyle Brunson's book. Oh uh, shit! So, all right. So let's. Um, I'll get you guys. Uh, who wants to go first with their first pick in uh, the stupid the the second part of the stupid uh, pick draft? Go Zach? ahead, Zach. Yeah, Zach, lead it off. All right. Do I get a drum roll for this? All right. I'm going to go with a player from a team that um, I felt that a very good drafting was actually sniping on me on a lot of my late picks that I thought I could get later. So I actually did not, I I despise drafting with this fellow. Um, So maybe it's a little bit of payback. Um, Not that he probably (laughs) cares, but um, it was Jake. 
I'm taking a player from his team. Okay. Um, that player he drafted in the seventh round, and that player is Keston Hira, um, who is my first pick in, in the stupid, idiotic player draft. I don't know why he would draft him at this point. But um, uh, like I talked about Fantrax versus NFBC, and I feel like it's a – it's a numbers game in fan tracks and you really need to have a better batting average and everyone knows about his um, strikeout tendencies and his um, ability to miss the ball. Um, Keston hero. Um, and um, I think he's a better, he's a better suitor player for, for, uh, for, uh, for a format that doesn't, is not so dependent on ratios like this is designed to be. And um, I know he had a really good um, partial season in 2019. Um, he was ranked, um, in Fantrax and NFBC, the 34th and 48th overall hitter in 2019. That fell to um, 135 and 159th ranked player um, in the two formats in 2020 and being the 159th ranked player in the NFBC format. So he was worse in the NFBC, NSB, NFBC format because of his uh, poor ratios. Um, so given the fact that he was um, – um, like if you look at the two numbers, 34th and 48th player in 2019 and 135 and 159 player in 2020, Jake took him at hitter 51 in this year. So I don't know if that's, I don't, I don't think that's um, taking into consideration enough of the, the downside. And that's, that's what we're weighing. You're weighing probabilities here when you're drafting. Um, uh, another, another fact, uh, another piece of evidence that I want to, or not evidence, another fact that I want to bring up here right? is um, he took Hunjin Ryu in round six um, and then Keston Hira in round seven. Um, he could have flipped the script there and taken Brandon Lowe, who went one pick after Hunjin Ryu in round six, and he could have taken Fran Valdez, who you know I like a lot, who Phil took in round seven. So who would, and that would, that would have been a completely plausible outcome um, in terms of how this draft went. So who would you rather have? Would you rather have Keston Hira and Kenjin Ryu or um, Brandon Lowe or even Kettle Marte and um, Framber Valdez? I'd rather have the teams without Keston Hira. Well, he didn't have a chance to pick Marte. He went before you picked him, and then it went Lau, and then Hira. I would way rather have Oh, oh you're, you're right. You're, you're right. My bad. I would way rather have Keston than 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 Brandon Lau. Um, I had I had a lot of shares of Lau last year because of where he was going, as opposed to you know what kind of skills I thought he could bring to the table if he if he avoided any type of platoons. Um, but his, I mean, his, he always got that path with his legs too i mean even even with a crappy average I, I think he's you know i had him i had him around top 50 overall um not only just top 50 batters um uh, the only reason i didn't lock on him on early is because i went with like a safer guy in merrifield but uh, i would much rather have fewer than than lao it's just my opinion it's like lao has that more of a, a chance to maybe even get moved or or just get uh, the tune just for where he's going. Um, I just feel like Hira has that path with his legs too. Um, that uh, I don't. See, I think even with his swing and miss profile, and he's. I don't see him at a risk for losing playing time. The team stinks. Okay. You no, know? I don't see. I, I agree with that. And no, and and I I think like a thirty ten season is almost a lock for as bad as he's you know and as much as he'll strike out. But I just feel like he's so much more of a bank for those skills than Lau is. Um, but uh, I, I obviously Zach, if you didn't take Marte, I would prefer you know them uh, him over. What him. what about this? He, okay, forget about like if you if you wanted to stick to like the um, the position, he could have taken Trent Grisham instead of um, 
instead of Ryu. Not sold on him either, man. Like I, I see Steamer. I see 650 plate appearances. What if he doesn't bat first or second? It's not happening. True. I, I don't know. I, I just think there's a huge variance in that because of what they have available to put one, two, and like what the trend is, get your best guys. And he's good, but he's not their best. And I, I don't see like, you know, dropping him a hundred plate appearances from that one to nine is a big difference in the projected stats. Um, you know, the skills are, are tight. I like them, but um, I don't know. I don't see that. I don't see him getting up there uh, unless they just, completely shift their lineup down a little bit, but I think it's top, he's at the top, you know, um, I don't know. The way I see it, the way, the way I'm looking at it is, is he was the 34th overall player in 2019, which I think I'm, I'm thinking that's his ceiling, uh, like more or less. And then his floor was this year, which is like 159. So him being drafted at 51, he's almost being drafted at a ceiling. That's, 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 that's what I'm saying. Right. No, I get it. No, I, I, I love his skill set, Trent Grissom. I, I feel like it could just could be a big flux in, in, um, in the plate appearances and just, just, uh, just the possible variability of it is something I'm just like not comfortable with. Um, cause I think it's going to change his, his overall, you know, stats, um, if he's not batting in the top, um, so yeah. All right. So we had Zach, Zach, are you done with your stupid pick blast? Yep. Okay. Derek, who do you got first? Uh, Alberto Mondesi. Oh. 42. Um, mm-hmm. So some of this, you know, I think Phil mentioned this. You kind of bring to this a little bit just your preference as a drafter. And, and you know, so if, so if I didn't viscerally like a pick, you know, it's because I've got that guy valued lower. <laughs> um, my, my issue with Mondesi is a couple fold. Um, I think, you know, I think intuitively you would think uh, players scoring in bunches would be good for your team. Uh, The the kind of an all or nothing player would actually be good for a best ball format. I'm not sure I agree with that, uh, especially players this early in the, in the draft. Um, My experience with other formats of best ball has been that uh, teams, um, it wasn't that how efficient the team was at scoring. It wasn't about maximizing the number of points. Like, you know, uh, Hey, I got, 95% 95% of my available points this week. It was actually the teams that did the best are the teams that scored the most points every single week. And when you have a guy you're drafting in the, you know, fifth, uh, what did I say he went, he went, uh, now I got to find him again. Um, went 42. Um, when you have a guy go there, you need him to be contributing to your team every single week. Like right. you're expecting that player to play every single week. Uh, otherwise you wouldn't be paying that kind of price. So number one, he's, I think he's a variable type player. He definitely has skills. I mean, we saw it last year, you know, in one month, he was awesome. He was incredible. Um, but that meant for another month, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't worth having on your roster. And I think at pick 42, that's that, that kills you. And as opposed to a roto league where those steals are cumulative, I think those steals are more valuable in this, you know, I think that, I think it hurts you too much. And then the other thing I would say is, I look back at uh, his playing time. He has eclipsed 500 plate appearances once in his entire professional career. And it was in 2013 in a ball. Um, So you go look at the playing time, like what's going on. I don't like that at all. Um, Again, for a guy that I'm drafting uh, in my, in the top four rounds. I mean, I just, you can't, I don't think you can take that kind of risk under your roster and feel good about, 
uh, what he's giving you. No matter, even if the ceiling's you know sky high, in a best ball format, that ceiling has to come with a good floor. And I think his floor is is questionable at this price. I love it. I love that breakdown. That's um. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's good stuff right there. I totally, I totally agree with that assessment of of, of especially the playing time. Um, you know, that's a big number. That's you know, you want your locked and loaded guys in there every week. You know, obviously. Uh, there may be weeks where those guys in the top four rounds might not give you your right. your best score, but like you said, you you want the ability to at least give them, you know, uh, give you the shot of of getting that. Um, I like that. Great pick, great pick. I'm gonna go. My first stupid pick is um, not by a stupid guy, Mr. John Fish. Um, pick Dak Plesac in the fourth round. Um, I don't know if he just wanted to grab a pitcher. He started off with three batters. Um, I am not on the Zach Plesak train this year. Um, I don't know. He's, I think most people are just tossing away 2019, um, which is pretty crazy because a lot of people are, you know, most people are like, be careful how you handle 2020 in this short sample. And, you know, he made some, I understand he made some changes and the repeatability in his delivery, you know, it's the all become magic for him that he became pretty good pitcher, but uh, I don't know. He's never thrown more than 122 innings in a season. Mm-hmm. Um, super high strand rate, you know, left on base percentage this year. Um, zone contact through those both years is pretty average. Um, I don't know. Uh, see, only his slider was his only pitch that had a CSW over 30 and CSW 28, uh, 2019, 2020 is hovering about, you know, 28%. It's just max, just average. Um, one thing I noticed, you know, I'm not a pitching expert at all, but um, like his breaking speed and his off-speed velo rose and his fastball velo decreased to a point where it's like only about six, seven miles an hour apart. And um, just figures like that's something that you want to have a bigger disparity in um, when you're a pitcher. Um, so that kind of caught my eye. Um, another odd thing that caught my eye, I don't know if this means anything at all, but something I definitely noticed was this, um, the shift percentage versus left-handers last year, you know, rose dramatically to like, um, uh, you know, over like 70% change. Um, and, you know, Cesar, Cesar Hernandez was, uh, fourth in outs above average. Um, so he's not on the team anymore and it just, I don't know if it's if it's something to mask uh, their defense. Um, I don't know, but it was just a change in their strategy with him on the mound. Um, and then his stats, you know, everyone likes to say that he's going to throw innings, he's going to go deep in innings, but his innings, um, his stats in the sixth and the seventh innings weren't so great. So I don't know if that's something the Indians are going to correct or try to keep him in for those games. And I know they're probably going to be crappy and they're just going to let him throw anyway, but it's definitely something to note. Um, and the, the last point I wanted to bring up was, um, and this is a shout out to Toby, uh, Baffled Crazy. I heard him bring it up. Um, K minus walk percentage in three, two counts um, when he was talking about his assessment of Trevor Bauer and got me, um, I brought it up and I wanted to see what kind of data I could find on that. And he was just pointing out how um, Trevor Bauer like completely um, overperformed in that area where um, the expectancy in full counts is, you know, he, he was way above average, way above everything that we've normally seen. So found the same thing to be with Plesak. 
um, in those in those three counts in the three two count, um, he had a fifty percent um, K percentage and seven percent walk percentage. So K minus BB percentage was forty two percent, and his uh, K K case to walk per nine, if you want to do it that way too, was at six and a half. Now ran some data since two thousand, right? For K minus walks on three two counts, um, the highest percentage that I saw for guys who threw um, a good amount of innings was Sal Kluber and Maddox, and they were at nine and a half percent K's over BBs and and full count. And Police Act was at forty three percent last year. And if you want to just break it down to like a micro level, maybe about twelve or thirteen at bats where maybe you could take away a strikeout as being a lock. Um, for those stats, you know, if you just regress it to like an average, we're talking about 13 or 14 strikeouts that might be in question. Um, and if you drop that down to, let's just say, 48 Ks instead of the 59 he had, um, we're not looking at, a, I don't know, I don't know if we're really talking up that he made such dramatic improvements in strikeouts. So, um, again, I want to shout that out to Toby because um, I heard that on the podcast and um, I DM'd him and, you know, he walked me through like how he got to that. Um, um, again, it's not something that I ever looked at, uh, but when you're breaking, I guess, you know, when you're splitting hairs at the top of the draft, I guess, you know, when you find stuff like this, um, it's pretty interesting, especially when you run it back to the historical level and you see guys like, you know, Sale, Kluber, and Maddox, and um, you see how much, how, how much um, overperformance, um, even even Bieber had Bieber Bauer the Grom um, they had a pretty a pretty um high overperformance in that area this year so um, if you guys want to check that out it's a cool little it's it's a cool little nugget um, where so, did, where did you uh, get that information from how did you just on Fangraph I filtered through three two counts um, okay and yeah on the split leaderboard you can you can go through three two counts and um, it's pretty interesting um, just seems like um, I don't know, I haven't looked into deep like people who've underperformed it. Um, but it seems like a lot of people, a lot of pitchers who've overperformed that stat kind of will overvalue the next year. So, um, and I just, I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see how you can possibly project him as a top 45 player right now with, you know, throwing 170 innings in his career where I think at that point of the draft, I'm just like trying to roster bat. So, but. Tough to take know. him as your first pitcher, right? Right. Like, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. I just, just not in on him in general as, as, as you know, if people want to say the hyped up Kyle Hendricks and, uh, you know, fine, but you know, why, why take him so early? You know, I don't know. I like I like Plezak, but I like Plezak, but that was really interesting. All the points you brought up, and and Fish did take him as the SP one. I don't think I would want him as my SP one. I like him as my SP two. Right, right. I totally agree. I Actually, think the I, only thing. Oh, sorry. I was to say the only thing I would push back on is he has. I mean, he's pitched 180 innings in a season across minor and majors. So that's something that like is valuable, like to me, like you know. So 2019, he pitches 115 in in the majors, and then another, you know, like uh 65 in the minors give or take and so like there aren't very many guys who are pitching 180 innings across whatever they're playing Mm -hmm. so i do think especially in this climate where to me i'm looking for pitchers who have done it like i want to if i when you when it comes to projecting innings like i don't want to be projecting career high innings for pitchers this year like those are not the kind of guys i want to be super interested in so 
if a guy has pitched 180 innings before, I don't, you know, I'm not overly concerned about where those innings were from just a, a volume standpoint. You, then you think I, he's that much better than like the Lance Lund that you took in the next round? Oh, no, no, no. I'm more thinking just, just, just the innings perspective. I right. think the rest, yeah, the, rest, yeah. the rest of the stuff I'm in with you on, I was just saying from an innings perspective, he is a little safer than some other young guys or some right. other less, less MLB experience standpoint, just from the innings. But I, I, I agree with a lot of the other stuff. It, it seems it seems like we're, you know, and, and I know pitch mix can change with pitchers a lot, but you know, it can do a lot, right. You I mean, small changes with pitchers can do a lot, but it is, it makes me nervous to, to make that kind of uh, jump on, on the sample sizes we're looking at. Right. Yeah. That's pretty much uh, where that, you know, whole thing started for me before I mm-hmm. started my um, dive on him. And um, okay. So Zach, uh, let's swing it back to you. Uh, give us your last pick in the, in the stupid pick draft. All right. Uh, my last pick is going to be, um, from a really great drafter. Um, his name is Derek <laughs> Rose. Um, I'm going to take, um, my boy, um, Patrick Corbett. Um, where did you take him, Derek? It was like 204, I think. It was like right, or right around 200, maybe. After, I think it was after his, um, fake ADP in the, in this draft, but still, um. Which I, I took him in the other draft too. I didn't realize I'm, I'm becoming the Corbett guy and I don't like it. Oh boy. Um, yeah. that's, that's not good. I did some research on spin rate and velocity. Um, and he was, he, he had the, um, I think he was the only pitcher with uh, losing 100 um, RPMs on his slider and losing at least one mile an hour on his fastball mm-hmm. and breaking balls. And I think he led, um, I think he was on the top of that list in losing um, the spin on, his, uh, spin on his slider. And he's also obviously, as people know, the velocity is down. So yeah. he was on a list that wasn't a good list. Um, there was a list that included Granke, uh, I think Tanaka, um, just some other um, – Mike Fires was one of the guys on there. Just like uh, not good. I could see – and, and I, I looked at a lot of his film, and he was – the home runs that he was giving up um, weren't – like he was getting smashed. Like I saw like um, some, against some of the Braves, like Ozuna just like just demolished a meatball against him. Like he's on the mad bum path. I think I got an offer for him in a dynasty league. And like I said, I don't even, it was like a 20 team dynasty league. I'm like, I don't even want him. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put him on my roster in this league at all. And in, in this deep league. So, um, um, and just um, some of the players that went after Montez, like, uh, sorry, Montez. Uh, Montez was the guy that went off, went after Corbin. Um, I, would, I, would, I would take Montas over Corbin for sure. I think some of the, some of the peripheral stats on Montas is um, encouraging um, in terms of his whiff rate and just um, some, of the, some of the peripherals that just show um, that he might have got a little bit unlucky, whereas Corbin is showing that he got a little bit um, shitty. Uh, so that's my, that's my pick for, for you. You, you it, sucked. You yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. That's, no, I, that I wasn't only a pick. That was a pick in it. And let me drive this knife right into your stomach, Derek. <laughs> no, it's okay. Because again, it's not, it's not a pick that I'm thrilled with. Um, I think I would actually like, a, you know, if I had sat here and like broad, you know, had a little, little more time to think about it, I'm probably taking Montas over Corbin. Um, I think that's a good point. Um, other guys that went, I probably looking back, I, I kind of, I think I kind of expected to go Corbin then Tanaka. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, I would, I think I, I, you know, 2020 hindsight, I'd have taken Tanaka and tried, you know, again, not because I think these guys are great, uh, but 
but I do think there's probably a little more upside. But what I'd say about Corbin is I think he's going to pitch. Like, I, you know, he may right. not be good, but like he's going to pitch for Washington until he falls. Like, he absolutely. Fall. Right. So, um, you know, so that's driving the project. So, like, I stared at him. He was my highest projected player um, for like four or five rounds, and I just could not bring myself to take him. And then finally, it got to a point where I'm like, you know, if you use projections, and that's where you mm-hmm. have a player projected. At a certain point, you kind of have to have to take him. So um, you were you're ignoring your projections for three rounds, and all of a sudden you decided to <laughs> yes. not ignore your projections. That's right. I, I just <laughs> felt like I had to have it have integrity. My spreadsheet was giving me talks about like so look, it's it's look. selective in, integrity. You have integrity. Yeah, that's right. In, in round what? In round um, in round eighteen. That's right. But, but you didn't have integrity in round seventeen no, or sixteen. That's exactly right. That's one hundred percent right. Integrity <laughs> lost. Uh, it became a point where, you know, if you have, at least the way I approach it, if I have a guy who's a couple dollars within a, my top ranked player, like that, then that guy is, you know, to me, I will take that. Like that's a consider a guy I would consider. Like I'm not always just drafting the number one player, but it got into the point where Corbin was like my best pitcher by like, you know, over two bucks. Uh, and so I was just like, crap. So I did it. Um, and I, you know, I don't think this is a, I think this pick probably the best best bet that this pick has is that it, it holds water uh, is that, you know, like I get the, I get a, the value of a, of a, you know, a pick two Oh nine. I don't think there's a lot of upside in this pick. Like, I, like, I don't, you know, I mean, the velocity could come back, I guess, you know, that's, that's my best hope. Um, and, you know, but I don't, even if it does, there's not a top 100 upside in this pick. I don't think. Um, right. So but I agree. There's no one else to take his spot there. No. So I agree with you. I'm not in love with it. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd do it that way again. Uh, all right, so Derek, who do you have for your second stupid pick? Uh, so I have uh, I have a pick of Zach's. <laughs> I have uh, I have Mike Soroka. Um, Damn. And so Mike Soroka went off. Hold on, I got this highlighted here. Round twelve. Round twelve. Yeah. Um, he's so, yeah. So here's the thing about Mike Soroka. So he's coming off Achilles injury. We think he's going to be ready for the season. I think that, you know, I think that's a decent bet. Um, but he's also, like, had one season of health. Uh, he's a young pitcher. I don't like paying for young pitchers that haven't proven to me that they can stay healthy. He's had the shoulder injury. now the And he had, the sh- like, a couple different instances of the shoulder thing. He had the Achilles injury. And on top of that, I feel like he's underperformed what we kind of expected him to be. The K upside, I think, is a little light. Um so I, I'm just – he's a guy that, you know, I just – it felt it felt risky at the spot, um, especially because, you know, the pick right before that is Julio Urias, who is good, is talented, but as another guy we're not 100% sure the, the Dodgers are going to finally let him loose. Like, you know, um, he's a guy who I like a lot more because I think the talent is more secure, even though I think the innings projections for those guys are probably pretty similar. But I think one of them is a lot more talented. Um, you took Tyler Molly, the next pick. I think I'd rather have Tyler Molly than Mike Soroka. Um, I would I agree. agree. I, I, I would agree with you. I yeah, we don't felt, know what the plan I, I felt, I felt like I could get yeah. both of them. Yeah, and you did. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't feel like you did. You did. You, you were right. Well, so. I, felt, I, felt, I felt like Soroka would have, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I felt like Soroka uh, had a better chance of getting sniped from me um, if I left him than Molly did at that point. I think you might be right. I think you might be right about that. I think. Yeah, so that's just where I'm at on Soroka. I just don't – I don't know. I'm not – especially going into a year like this year, I don't I don't love guys with that kind of injury profile. 
Um, who would you him. take? Who would you taken instead? Like if you had let to me look pitcher, at that. because like, yeah. there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a pitcher taken for like a, like another like ten picks at least. And Brad Fish took Brady Singer next. Uh, he was the next pitcher. So I would have rather have guys who went after him, Morton Heaney. I'd take both of those guys over him. Um, Paddock. Oh shit, Paddock went after him. I would maybe take Paddock, but I mean, Paddock, you have a lot of risk too. So I don't know. I think those guys are comparable from a risk. At least one of them, you know, definitely has a job. In a Roto um, League, I would have taken Paddock, I think. Hmm. Eh, uh, I don't know. I don't want I, I, don't want, I didn't want Morton either. Like, I, 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 he's like an avoid for me. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. I, I think that his, you know, I think that I feel a little bit better about Morton than I do. You know, ah, it's tough to say. We don't know about the fastball velocity about Morton. I'm probably taking Morton in front of Soroka, but I, I get it. I think that's a, I don't think that's a something to, you know, hit somebody over the head with. Um, but the, you're, yeah, Soroka, you're being, you're being nicer to me than I was to you. Well, Mike Soroka is a better player than Patrick Corbin. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. I think, I think the, I just, I think in a format where innings is, is King, I don't think Mike Soroka is a guy I want to take in, in round 12. Right. Gotcha. I like it. Well, my last stupid pick, um, I'm going to go a little lazy with this pick, but it's uh, Mr. David Hinkle with Wanda Franco in the 16th. I just don't see it. I, I don't, you know, I just don't like it. I don't like in a draft and hold with no pickups, you know, to maybe hinge any type of expected output from a player who may not see the major leagues. And even if he does, um, I don't know, it was just way too many like regulars that were there that can just get you points and um, just not, not my kind of pick. I understand the sexiness of Franco, but um, I don't know. Not, not a smart process in my, in my opinion that early. So, yeah. All right. So um, that was fun. I guess we got a little chat to roast each other. Um, you guys went at it. That was awesome. That was good to hear. That's good stuff. Um, so I yeah, appreciate you guys coming on and uh, discussing this podcast with me and know everyone's, you know, and everyone's got their own things to do. Everyone's busy, and you guys are hanging out with me late on a Thursday morning. I'm talking about best ball, so <laughs> I appreciate you guys. You know, oh, it was fun. It was fun. I had a blast. Yeah. Yep. So you guys want to take the uh, take a chance to uh, you know plug your work, tell everyone where they could find you, what you're doing, um, what you got planned for this up, uh, upcoming season. Go ahead, Zach. All right. Um, I do a podcast that. Um, that Rob, you you were on my podcast. It's called the Draft Champions Podcast. We talk about basically basically um, high stakes drafts and um, trying to become a better drafter. Talking to some awesome players, and that's the whole point of it. You can find it at Draft Champagne on Twitter. Uh, I do not have a podcast, uh, but you will hear me <laughs> occasionally on people's podcasts. I've been on Zach's podcast. Um, that would be a I good mean, name for a podcast, right? Yeah, I'm I a do not have a podcast. <laughs> no, the occasional on other people's podcast podcast. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's exactly right. Um, but no, I, uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, DRHOA3. Um, uh, I post a lot of best ball stuff. Uh, I do a lot, uh, pretty, pretty much exclusively best ball. I do a lot of injury analysis. I've got some free injury tools that you can check out at uh, jagfantasysports.com. Be great for off-season draft prep. That's all freely available, so you can definitely check that out. If you're interested in lower stakes uh, best ball leagues over at Fantrax, I've got a tool out you can check out that uh, is uh, – it's pretty slick. It's, it's pretty simple for people who uh, maybe don't like making spreadsheets and things like that, but it's something that's really helpful for points league. So if you're interested in that, you could check that out on a Jag fantasy sports as well. 
Awesome. Yeah, definitely a great tool. Um, Are you up to 3,000 followers yet, uh, Derek? Uh, I am not, Zach. I'll tell you, that bet, so Zach made a bet on his podcast when I appeared that uh, if I was not up to 3,000 followers uh, by the start of the season, that he would uh, he would buy an entry into one of these best $100 double-up <laughs> best balls. And it really it, it incentivizes me almost to not Get there. Let people follow. <laughs> you're just gonna you're just gonna start blocking all these people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Even um, you get to three thousand, they just block me. Yep. Just report the accounts. Like, oh, those are bots. You got to get rid yeah. of those. Get rid of those <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Cool, man. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, everyone. Uh, you know, if you're not following um, Zach and Derek on Twitter, if you're not following their, um, Zach's podcast, or if you haven't been on um, that. De- Derek's website to follow his injury timeline tool. Go do all that. I got the draft tracker. Um, it's simple to use. Like you said, colorful, um, really cool. I gave one away to a lucky user. Um, and yeah, it's cool. Um, I really appreciate what you guys are trying to pump into the, into the community. Um, you guys are doing good stuff and, um, you know, I'm excited to see what you guys have in store for the future. So again, thanks for having me. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on with me and having a good time with me. So um, with that, uh, I'll say good night to everyone and uh, I'll, I'll talk, talk to you guys, guys soon. All righty, guys. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening, following, supporting the show. And uh, hope you enjoy this holiday season. And don't be a bag of shit to anyone. Peace.